And good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be. Around this rotating globe, welcome to another live edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, where tonight we're going to take you boldly where someone, it is quite apparent, has boldly gone before. We have a incredibly important show for you tonight. It kind of marks a benchmark. It's coming off two hours that I shared with George Norrie last Thursday night, where I was able to introduce this extraordinary concept that NASA is actually taking pictures of ancient ruins on Mars. And somehow, some of them in the last month, since uh, May uh, 12th, have leaked out. And it was only that that in reconstructing all the whole history here, that we've kind of been able to figure out that NASA had to scramble to catch up, and they put out this gigapan showing the whole site, and of course they're all claiming with one voice, nothing to see here, move along, move along, it's only rocks and sand. Well, after the next three hours, um, we're going to uh, ask you to take a poll, not a thing formal. Uh, I did this on Coast the other night. I asked uh, George's audience if they would write to us and let us know when they looked at these close-up images of this astonishing architecture on a place where it does not have any business under the NASA model we've been living under for like, what, 50 years, any business being, yet it's there. So I'm going to actually read during the show. I'm not quite sure when yet. We're we're kind of you know switching things in real time because there's new things happening. There's new data that I just saw, which is going to blow your minds. I guarantee you. Anyway, um, I want to start tonight with Georgia, Georgia Lambert, who is our resident metaphysician. As you know, she worked for over 10 years for uh, Manley Hall there at the uh, center in Los Angeles. And uh, we have her on a lot because as I've been finding over the last several years, particularly after Robin, you know, uh, went up and died. I mean, it's really, she should be here. I have turned more and more to other non-numerical answers to some of these extraordinarily profound questions. So that's why I turned to Georgia a lot because that's her background, metaphysics, meta, you know, everything, physics. And, of course, we're dealing with a metaphysics, except it's hyperdimensional physics. And I obviously see the two as incredibly integrated, as, if I'm not being too presumptuous, so does she. So to give a kind of a background scene here, Georgia has been ill. So she's really making a super effort to be on the first few minutes tonight because she has something very important to tell you, to corroborate. Because I knew if I just told you or somebody else, you probably wouldn't believe it. But you need to hear it from Georgia Lambert directly because it impacts, as you'll hear later in the program, the larger concept, the larger effort to figure out what the hell is NASA doing, what the hell is the deep state doing, and why do they keep picking on our show? So without further ado, Georgia, are you there? I'm here limping along, but I'm here. Poor baby. Ah. So tell us, as as long as your strength holds out, what you were doing on Thursday night when I was on coast and why I thought we should leave the show tonight with this. Well, I turned into coast uh, just because you were on. And the first hour was lovely. I was having a good time with it. And then 11 o'clock rolled around. 
And just after 11 o'clock, the station I was listening to, which is KFI here in Los Angeles, which is a huge station. 50,000 watts, clear channel. You can hear it clear in New York if the ionosphere is just right. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's just huge. And, and it's one of the most well-known stations here in Los Angeles. And in so, Southern California. Yeah. So I was listening, and just after 11, it went dead. What? Dead air, completely dead air. Now, the radio didn't switch off. This was a regular radio. It just went dead. And and I thought, well, okay, another few seconds, something will come on. Nothing, nothing. Five minutes goes by. I say, hmm, let's try something else. I go to another room, turn on another radio to that station. It's dead. Hmm. I I try both radios. They pick up other stations just fine. I can hear the other stations. Go back to 640 KFI, nothing, Hmm. dead air. So I think, okay, let's go to the computer. So I go to the computer and turn on the uh, KFI from the computer. Different system, dead air, 20 minutes. Are you sure it wasn't (laughs) 19.5? I'm I'm deadly serious. I'm, you know, it probably was. These people are ritual quite, fanatics, okay? It wasn't. It wasn't quite twenty minutes. It was a little after eleven, <laughs> just just after it, and it was close uh, enough for folk music. Twenty minutes later, it came back on, and the rest of the the show went. See, on. now this is why people. This is important because I spent the first hour kind of backgrounding the politics of this, and of course, people tune out politics these days out of sheer sheer desperation. We're being inundated with stupid politics. So when I go into the NASA thing and the Chinese and the Russians and all that, a lot of people probably just said, oh, wait till he gets to the pictures. Wait till he gets to the pictures. Second hour was devoted to these stunning images, and I was doing the setup at the beginning, as you do. You provide context, background, foundation, as the lawyers call it. You basically put people in the big picture, and I went through a series of images with George, and he's asking questions and responding, and all of that on the biggest station in Southern California was frozen off the air for 19.5 minutes. We'll think about that. What I find stunning, George, is normally when stations have breakdowns, they have alternate programming. You know, they they switch to anything, something, because dead air is the worst nightmare of a broadcaster. Worst nightmare. For them and, to be, I'm, I, for them I'm to, wondering if anybody else had the same phenomenon. I went and looked on Los Angeles. There's not a whisper of news. And you would think with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people listening to KFI that somebody else would have noticed that there was 20 minutes of dead air. Now, a former producer of this show, a gal named M., who lives in southern, southern Los Angeles, I think, uh, as opposed to you. You're out kind of west over in the, in the um, uh, what's Riverside that? area. Riverside area, yeah. She's literally right next to the damn station. She sent me an email after the show. She said, well, fine, up until I lost the signal. So these are two independent people that I know very well, who I trust, who are independently, because you guys haven't talked to each other in years, independently reporting there was an outage, yet I looked at the news, there's nothing, nothing in the L.A. area. Now, 
Was this selective? I don't imagine that. So, you know, this is a huge mystery, but it's only one of a million on the road to Mars and through the Martian doorway that I've experienced personally, me and Robin experienced personally over, over the decades I've been doing this. It's like there's that old ancient, um, probably cliche from back at the time that your dad was in uh, uh, NATO. It goes something like, you know, you, all, you know you're over the target where the flak is thickest. Right. So somebody did not want KFI, which is a clear channel, can be heard all over the country when the ionosphere is right, did not want them to broadcast 20 minutes of me describing the background to the incredible door on Mars. Gosh, I wonder we why. Need, we, we need to have people call in or write to you if they experience the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I love corroboration. I was just and, stunned. And maybe, maybe the coast audience pull on that. If we can reach them. <clears throat> now, we have a lot of responses because I remember I put out the call the other night for people who were looking in George's audience at this stuff to write us here. And I'm going to read a few of those because they're amazing in their synoptic perception. And again, it isn't 100%. Because statistically, when you get larger numbers, there's always that residuum. But it's close to like 99 plus percent of everybody out there just says, oh, it's a door. Of course it's a door. Despite what NASA has gone to great lengths to beat the pulp and into the dust and into oblivion. Well, dear, I don't want to keep you up any longer. That was what I wanted you. Oh, thank you. I'm going to be using one of your images that you supplied later in the evening. So, um you will be here in spirit, if not in, <laughs> in, in body tonight. And I thank you well, so just, much for doing just, this. Oh, you're very welcome. Just, just uh, for everybody, the image that, that you're using of mine is pure art fantasy. Uh, so uh, it's, it's kind of tucked in with all of the serious stuff. Well, when, well it is serious, as you're going to hear, because even you don't know the latest. This is moving at warp nine. Okay. Um, I'll lie down and listen. Excellent. Good night, everybody. Good night, dear. Good night. Okay. Um, if you go, if you're new to the show, which if you listen to George, you probably are, the way you find the section we call Radio with Pictures, which I stole freely from RKO, where we had a development deal for a movie many, many years ago, you go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. Click on uh, tonight's banner, which says very prominently, it only takes one white crow. And then in my promo, I kind of explain what that means. Um, the, um, uh, if you click on the banner, that takes you to the guest page. And under the guest page, oh, my computer seems to be frozen. No, 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 that's not good. Why is it frozen? No, don't freeze. It must mean that our little server, which is a lot smaller than George's, and people had a lot of problems the other night, you know, getting on, on George's, you know, big premiere servers. Well, I can't get in for the time being. But anyway, if you click on that banner and you can get in, under that you will see uh, a type section with two lines which basically says fast links. And there's my name and there's, there's other names of the guests tonight. Click on my name. That will take you down to the um, – uh, uh, radio with pictures section where I have these images all racked up and this computer is frozen you know you wonder all the time how they do it 
I'm still wondering how they do it. So let me try this. Okay. And I'm going to do this. No single point failure. Ah, now I'm in. See, you always have a backup. That's what my grandmother used to tell me. And my mother. And my grandfather. And Anyway, so um, if you're there and you click on my name, you know, it takes you down to the section where it says Richard's Items. <laughs> Item number one, um, you may or may not remember that a couple of weeks ago, I, pre- I pre- preview the idea that the huge Artemis moon rocket, the successor to the NASA Saturn V that took the Apollo astronauts to and from the moon, that that new rocket called Artemis or SLS, which stands for Space Launch System, the Artemis tag is the program name. Artemis was Apollo's sister. Very interesting gal. Kind of reminded me of a Catherine Hepburn or maybe Robin. Anyway, um, if you click on that, you'll see that they are in the beginnings of a 45-hour count, a countdown called a wet dress rehearsal, meaning they fill all the tanks, run everything the way they're doing for a real countdown, and they literally go through every little minuscule picky thing until they get to T0. Then they stop. Then they drain the fuel. They go back and look at all the data, all the computer charts, all the telemetry, every, everything that's been monitored and sent through the engineers, and they have an incredible review. And then based on that, you know, did everything pass? Did everything work? Is everything ready? They will decide then and announce it probably uh, in, a, in a week or so when they're going to have the first Artemis unmanned launch around the moon which is the complete space system that will take astronauts, Americans, and this time a woman, and someone of color, we were told, to the moon in back, um, not this year, but next year. This is a empty spacecraft outfitted just like astronauts were on board. I think there's even some surrogates like, you know, robots like the uh, one they have in the space station. But it's not going to be personed or manned or humaned. It will be an unmanned mission, um, unlike what we did in Apollo, where um, the first couple were, were uh, manned, but the first trip to the moon out of Earth orbit, that was manned. That was the, my baptism of fire at CBS, Apollo 8. God, do I remember that. Anyway, so this is all coming up. And, of course, you all know that when we actually have the first Artemis mission en route, which will spend several weeks, I think about two weeks, orbiting the moon in this incredibly nice elliptical orbit that dips down very close and out very far away. So we'll get incredible close-up HD images and HD video and all kinds of imaging that were not even imaginable back during Apollo. They had film. Most of you guys don't know what film is, but we will describe it when it's time. Anyway, this is all going to be live and electronic, and we're going to see things, frankly, that will blow your minds, unless NASA tries to pull another fast one and censor the imagery streaming back in real time, the incredibly high-def live video, et cetera, et cetera, as they are mucking around with Curiosity's data coming from Mars from the site of the doorway. And we will get to that later in the evening and or morning. Item number two. We've been tracking, of course, the 
deployment and checkout of the Webb Space Telescope. Uh, pardon the chair. Got to remember to get WD-40. Anyway, uh, item number two is a kind of where we are with Webb in terms of checking out um, the instrumentation. I mean, this thing is loaded, as they used to say, for bear. There's all kinds of spectroscopes and imaging and and imaging photometry and comparative imaging. I mean, it's an amazing uh, tour de force of the instruments on this telescope, which, of course, is a million miles away tonight, sitting, well, actually not sitting, it's orbiting in what's called a halo orbit around a point which is a million miles behind the Earth, the so-called Lagrange Point 2, named, as you might guess, after a French astronomer, mathematician, who figured out... Uh, where these gravitational points are in space and multi-bodied systems. And there are five of them. And two of them are, you know, front and back of between Earth and Moon and between the Moon and space beyond it. And then between the space uh, behind the Earth and then in front of the Earth. And anyway, you can go look it all up, you know, L, just look for the Lagrange points. Point is that the telescope was parked in this halo orbit after taking a few months, a couple months to get there, um, kind of like a slow boat to China, because they could not overshoot. They couldn't stop if they'd overshot. That's all celestial mechanics of orbits. Anyway, it's been there now in the checkout mode for several months since uh, a couple months ago. In July, we're supposed to get our first real data. I think the date is July 12th. But in the meantime, they're checking out the instruments, and that Item number two will tell you where we are. Now, if you scroll down in that item, which is actually the web blog of continuing developments, you will see an item, I think it's the third one down on the list, about the meteorite, the meteoroid that hit Webb. Oh, oh, the pain of it. Oh, the humanity. Oh, I mean, come on. The media have made such a big fuss over nothing because it was bigger than NASA said they expected. It was not modeled, and obviously it's because somebody didn't think this through as carefully as you do when you're running a real mission. Why is the Hubble, not Hubble, why is Webb orbiting at the L2 point? Because the L2 point is a region of relative stability in a melange of irascible, chaotic orbits in a solar system that is mostly orderly, but some places you can be flung into a very dis orderly orbit very quickly through influences of other bodies in the solar system. And the L2 point is one of those points of stability. So the reason that I think they're being struck more often than they predicted, nobody, and this sounds crazy at NASA, but nobody apparently realized that in the L2 location, there would be the trapping of more natural background meteoroids to begin with. That's what happens in these L2 positions. Things are trapped and then they leave. Some of the L2 positions are relatively stable, meaning once trapped, they pretty much hang around for you know, a few million years. Others, like L2, it's more like a revolving door. We're back to doors again. And things come in and things eventually move out under the little gravitational nudges and tweaks of the moving bodies and the rest of the system. And frankly, what I think Webble, uh, Webble, <laughs> Webb is functioning as is a giant tennis court size micrometeoroid detector in the L2 position behind the Earth a million miles 
behind the Earth away from the sun. So the big question, of course, is will this disturb or damage or impact in a negative way the web mission? And the answer is a resounding no, 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 even if it's hit by dozens of these, because the mirror alone is 21 feet wide. Now, several years ago, back during the Apollo program, a friend of mine, his name was Harlan Smith, was director of the famed McDonald Observatory in western Texas, southwest uh, Texas. They're in those, uh, think of the Davis Mountains. Anyway, NASA had built, as part of its network for beaming uh, laser pulses to the moon and receiving the echoes, which would determine the distance to the moon based on mirrors that the astronauts had placed to receive and reflect those laser beams, they built a special dedicated telescope with NASA funding, which was 107 inches wide. That was the, the height of the mirror or the width of the mirror. And so 12 into 107, it was more than eight or nine feet. I, I don't have a calculator here in front of me, and I'm not going to do that live on the air. You can all do that. Anyway, it was this many, many foot wide mirror. The 200 inch, by comparison, is about 16, inches, 16 feet wide. So 107 inches would be a little over eight feet. Okay. Anyway, some good old boy one night, mad at NASA or mad at Harlan or mad at something, went in the dome with a 45 and fired point blank at the damn mirror. Pow! And of course, everybody freaked out. Later, Harlan told me that when they actually did comparative tests between photographs taken before the nut and after the wing nut with a 45 and, un, you know, unloosened it on a, a poor defenseless telescope, they couldn't really detect any difference in the light scattering, in the resolution, in the blur, nothing. So even a 45 fired point blank into a relatively small mirror, and the web mirror is three times the size of the uh, 107 inch, um, is probably not going to be optically detectable. The reason that they caught it is because the impact and the energy caused by the little collision was so great that it jogged the C3 mirror. They all have numbers and names, you know. It's a, it's a hexagon. It isn't one mirror. It's all these little mirrors, hexagons that fit together to create the synthesis of a big 21-foot mirror. They found that the meteorite collision, the kinetic energy, had literally knocked that mirror slightly out of alignment. So, of course, there are motors on the back, and they will put it back in exactly the right position to within a few wavelengths of the light that they're using. And I will bet dollars to Navy beans that if you look at the test images before and after, no scientist will be able to detect that a little meteorite, meteoroid, whatever you want to, uh, struck the mirror at a high velocity of several thousand miles per hour and left a scar. That's how huge this telescope is compared to any that we have ever used before. Now, item number three. This is where things get really interesting. I'm on coast the other night, and I'm talking to a whole bunch of people who probably haven't heard about this, that there are things on Mars, there are structures, there's artifacts, there's NASA cover-ups, and we've reached some kind of, uh, um, you know, break point, some kind of, of paradigm shift, some kind of uh, climax in this long, unending soap opera 
with NASA keeping everything secret and us outside trying to say, look at that, look at that, look over there. So Elon Musk has now entered the conversation. I mean, does anybody think he wouldn't? Remember, he's in the process for some reason, which is not totally clear to all us must watchers. He's trying to buy Twitter. Well, the other day he had the equivalent of a Zoom call with a whole bunch of Twitter employees and somehow, and I haven't heard the actual conversation yet, but somehow the conversation turned to aliens, whereby Elon Musk, who brought it up, tells his potential employees, among a whole bunch of other stuff, that he hasn't seen evidence yet to suggest that aliens are real. Okay, now let's pause, okay? Because I'm a wordsmith. I write for a living. And there's a lot of people in the audience who are wordsmiths. There's a lot of people on our panel tonight who write for a living. Maybe not full time, but they have to communicate. Words have meaning. That's why laws are written. The language of a law is very, very precise, as precise as the lawmakers can conceive. Now, sometimes laws are written deliberately loosey-goosey, so they basically aren't a law at all. But most of the time, good people are trying to constrain aberrant human behavior by writing laws which are precise, which means it depends on what the law says, the definition in the language. So when Alan very cutely says he has found no evidence suggesting that aliens are real, I agree with him because we're not in our model talking about aliens. We're talking about family, human beings who can genetically mate and match with any human anywhere on the planet tonight when they want to and apparently wanted to a lot. So he is technically, by saying that, within the letter of the law. But why is he bringing up the subject at all? It's kind of like the story my grandmother told of uh, when, um, you know, she was uh, having some babysitter in and she and her husband, my grandfather, were going out. And the last thing that she told the babysitter, which was the babysitter of my mom and my mother's brother, my uncle, Harold, who's no longer with us, was, and don't let them put beans up their nose. And the babysitter looked at her, and my mother and my uncle looked at her, and they both thought, oh, what a great idea. So what Musk is doing is salting the landscape with concepts that the mainstream is not used to hearing from mainstream people. He's, as the uh, agency folks used to tell me, he is um, causing a soak time to occur. Soak time meaning the time it takes for the culture to kind of come up to speed and get used to the concept and be soaked in the information so when it takes a turn it's not something they've never heard of. It's like, oh, there's a new twist in the story. Now Musk says, well, maybe they are folks out there and maybe, in other words, he's laying foundation because I, of course, have been looking at him owning Twitter and asking why, 
with a guy whose spaceships are going to go and someday inevitably with the people he's going to send to Mars and the hundred person starships, they're going to trip over ruins. It's absolutely, you know, unescapable. I could make a billion dollars making a side bet. And the only guy who could pay me off is Musk at this point. So why is he doing this? Because he's setting the foundation for when his people, his ships, his missions land and have to announce to the world, apart from all the censors, apart from the deep state, apart from NASA, apart from whoever really runs the world, a clear channel on Twitter, which he owns and in the law, therefore controls. So I'm looking at the whole Twitter acquisition as getting ready for the big reveal. And on that note, I thought tonight might be a nice time to play this. This is a multi-multi-level pun. Let's see how many of you get it. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. And if you touch that dial, well, you'll miss everything. You'll return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. 
you know, this has got to be, for a whole bunch of reasons, one of my favorite songs. And it's only become more favorite over the years because it encapsulates not just my life on this road after I walked through the Martian doorway decades ago, but in a larger sense, given what we're going to tell you tonight and show you, it really encapsulates the whole idea that we're dealing with somehow family out there. No, Alon, they're not aliens. They are relatives. And some of them are good. And like all of us know, some of them are bad. And as we all know, some of them can be really, really bad. And we are about to join, well, rejoin, the whole damn family. Or as my grandmother once said, the whole family. <laughs> anyway, we've taken the long way home. We're almost there. What is through the Martian doorway? What is on the other side? What, as Robert Heinlein wrote, is on the other side of this potential doorway for the human race into summer? For my first guest tonight, if I can, and we're getting some kind of a feedback. Where is that coming from? Somebody's mic is open. Somebody's mic is open. And it's not me. Keith? Testing? Uh-oh. Now, why am I getting a feedback? See, this is what these guys do. They play havoc with your system. So, Jonathan, are you there? I am here. Ah, there you are. Okay. I want to introduce Jonathan tonight, and to do that, that, that um, Keith, we've got to solve that. I'm getting a feedback in my ear, and I presume everybody else is hearing it too. John, are I you hearing? coming from Barbara. Oh, okay. Barbara, you got to mute. Are we clear? I don't hear myself anymore. Nice. That's good. Okay, let me let me do this properly, okay? Um, because this is important. I want everybody on the record. So, and I hit the wrong thingy. Oh, why do I do that all the time? Here we are. Jonathan Wolbach began leaving his body in the fall of 1965, which, by the way, was the anniversary of the first mission to Mars, answering psychic distress calls from people and spirits, and he came out of cutting his Samaritan teeth on comic books and cartoons. And that became the kind of projection of the persona that he has been experiencing in, frankly, what I would call hyperdimensional travels. And we'll talk a bit about that. Um, 
I'm not going to go through his whole bio because if I do, we'll be here all night with everybody's bios. Today, Jonathan is involved heavily in 3D modeling and animation. He does video and audio editing and is producing content for several streaming platforms. He has a show called The Out-of-Body Experience, and it's available on Roku, Paraflix, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Prime Video, Google Play, etc., etc., etc. He is the author of four superhero adventure novels, and is it currently at work on the sequel to the Ram IM series titled The Dolphinius Effect. And the reason that John is with us tonight is because he has a really good eye. He knows where this ultimately someday is going to be going. And so what we're doing tonight is kind of, again, setting the scene. John has been busily looking at this uh, door site on Mars, and he found some astonishing new stuff. So, John, where do you want to take us? Well, let's start with my item number one. Okay, what I, we have to do is fast links to items up under the banner. Click on Jonathan, and that will take you to his section. Number one, SQ Box Staircase, the Longfellow House. What is yes. the Longfellow House? The Longfellow House, really cool place. If you visit Boston, uh, I, I encourage you to go there and check this place out. Um, so last night I told Keith I would wrap up my images, uh, today when I got up. So I, I got up around 11 a.m. and put on the coffee and plopped down in front of the TV. I'm thinking of my images and on comes, I, I see, uh, Bob Vila from this old house. Yeah, I know him. I mean, I know yeah, of him. I never met him, but yeah. Yeah, Bob Vila. And, um, he's standing there with a tour guide at the base of the staircase and I go, that's that's Longfellow House, and so, and they're talking about the construction and the railing, and then they, um, they walk through like item two. They walk into this room, and Bob Vila is the guy's knowledge is amazing. He's talking about, and like the chair in in the center of item number two is the story of uh, this tree was cut down when Longfellow was away, and he came home, and he said, "Where's the tree?" And they, he was so sad, and then some uh, some young people came along, and they took the wood from the cut-down tree, and they made the chair there that you see in the center of that photo. And uh, number three, they walk into the parlor, and then number four, they go into this room uh, with this grand piano, and, and Bob Beal is going, oh, my gosh, look at the trim along the ceiling and the pillars – uh, flanking the fireplace and he's just full of information about the construction and how they would have made all this back in the day it was none of it was machined it was all by hand and these expert craftsmen um number five is another image of the entranceway and number six is how it looked back in the day and number seven is what it looks like today if you walk by there John, I hate to ask this, but how does this relate to Mars? You're going to find out very soon. Um, number nine is uh, Brattle Street, where you can see the Longfellow House there in the distance. And, in fact, this is where I parked when I, I was uh, 10 years at the Harvard Ed School. And I would park here and walk a block and a half to uh, Appian Way. And so I've, I've walked this path, you know, 10,000 times probably, and 
um, I know all the cracks in the sidewalk and the manhole cover there. And <laughs> so, but I, I've taken the tour several times. I just, I just love that property. And number 10, you can see an overview of uh, Longfellow made an agreement with Cambridge that all that land you see used to be empty. And Longfellow said, you can sell this, you know, after I'm gone if you and build houses or whatever. But I want to keep a view of the house down to the river because he loved that view looking out the window and he could see down to the Charles River that separates Cambridge from Boston. And so as I sat there watching this, I go, this is what this is exactly what we're doing um, on, on your show here, Richard, we're, we're the Bob Vila of Mars. We're <laughs> this <laughs> old house. <laughs> right? That's and, a long way to go for a metaphor. <laughs> Good grief, John. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, you know, these things, it was kind of uh, synchronous to me. So number 11 is the wide shot of the image in question tonight with the doorway and Number 12. Wait, 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 wait. On number 11, you have marked two areas of interest. Talk about those areas. Okay. Uh, Entrance one is the doorway that we've been covering. And uh, entrance two is over on the side there. These mounds have, they all have different, they have several entrances. It's not just uh, one entrance. So be, what I found is at the end of these long, let's say it's a long barrow, the end of each barrow will have main entrances. And then on the sides, you'll have these smaller entrances. Should, so, we, should, should we kind of define the architectural background for people that aren't familiar with why when I saw this image, it was like, oh my God, look at that confirmation. If you've been following our work on the air on this show over the last several years, you know that uh, Bob Harrison, who couldn't be with us tonight, who was a researcher living in England, has done extensive work using the orbital imagery from multiple missions to Mars to find what I call the sites of the ancient arcologies. What's an arcology? Well, it's a coined term. Uh, arcology, architectural ecology. Back in the 1960s, late 60s, a, a genius architect from Italy named Paolo Soleri realized that Earth was going to hell in a handbasket because of environmental problems. Um, this was kind of around the Nixon administration where EPA and all that was just kind of beginning to get born as an idea and enacting it into law with looking insuperable and you know, the usual problem. So he's looking at the earth as an architect and he says, well, given what's going on, ultimately human beings will be forced to build huge, huge contained cities, staggeringly high, miles high, miles, multiple miles wide with all kinds of glass and parapets and everything all sealed against an outside environment that's going to get weirder and weirder and totally uninhabitable. And ultimately in Solari's projection, Humanity would only survive with incredible high technology and additional power sources and all that in these super contained enclosed cities, literally miles in every dimension, including miles, tens of miles tall at some point, uh, all within structural materials that we know here on Earth. 
And so that was the arcology concept. And I remember that first meeting I had with the CBS people when I was walking up to 7th Street to have lunch at the restaurant that they were taking me to. I started talking about Solari and the arcologies. We hadn't even been to the moon yet. That's why they called me to New York, you know, to prepare for Apollo 8, the first mission around another planet by humans. And here I am talking about things that are so far beyond their ability to even imagine. And I remember looking up at this wonderful fall sky over Manhattan, crystal blue with the stall skyscrapers. And I said, someday this will all be inside a huge enclosed pyramidal building called an arcology. And they all looked at me kind of weird. Well, that was the beginning of our relationship. They, for the all the time I was at CBS, they looked, some of them looked at me kind of weird. Anyway, sorry, John, but what I'm saying <laughs> is that these structures we're seeing in our model are the collapsed high-tech remains of huge buildings, which when Mars underwent this incredible solar system-wide catastrophe, they all fell down because of Richter 12 or 14 earthquakes that totally rattled Mars to its core and destroyed everything. It pancaked down. Think of the World Trade Towers, those what they used to call the piles after the 9-11. The firemen would stay working on the pile. Well, it was a pile of collapsed pancake debris from what used to be, you know, 1,500 foot high or higher skyscrapers, pancaked down what was left of them. Think of the same thing happening to an incredibly sophisticated high-tech culture on Mars millions of years ago. And then later, subsequent evolutions, Martians, i.e. us, i.e. the great, 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 great ancestors of modern humans, picking up the cudgels from ancient history, reconstructing technology and science and knowledge and their knowledge of the world and their relationship to the galaxy and beyond. And around them are these incredibly ancient mounds of super high-tech, godlike ancient civilization stuff. So what did they do? I think a succession of civilizations, just like we would do, and we will someday do when we get there, and we have done here on Earth, what do we do with ancient ruins? We excavate. We look for stuff. We try to piece together how did it fit into the human story. Of course, here on Earth in the last 6,000 years, all we've got are low-tech ruins to examine. Suppose you knew, suppose it hadn't been suppressed, that actual, real human beings with incredible high-tech, hyperdimensional technology, the last epoch of that era on our civilization was something like 30,000 years ago. And we, if it weren't suppressed, we'd all know this, and we'd know where the best-preserved remains of that incredible era still are on Earth and accessible to anybody with a you know, 747 first-class ticket. It's the Antarctic, and that's a whole other show. And Robert, I can hear you jumping up and down, and maybe we'll mention a part of that, and maybe we won't tonight. There's so much to get into. The point is, John, what I think we're looking at is later, much lesser civilizations trying to excavate the shattered fallen piles of an incredibly ancient, again, godlike civilization. Remember Clark's third law, 
any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And I think they were trying to figure out what their ancestors were up to, who they were, and how they could retain or reclaim the secrets of the gods themselves. So with that as foreshadowing, John, what did you find? Well, look no further uh, than image 11 for the magic that you talk about, because if you go to the Gigapan, which I think Keith is going to put up a link for that, so listeners can go to the Gigapan and look for themselves, you zoom in, you start looking around, you see all this iridescent glass-like materials, and I believe that they made, I call it rock tech, they were masters of stone and rock and everything's, even the flying vessels and, and sea John, craft, John, well, John, John, is... John, did you what? listen to what I just said? This is not rocks. This is what high-tech stuff looks like when exposed to ambient conditions for several million years. Well, that's there, what I'm there, saying. There isn't that's... a damn rock on this place. Well, that's basically what I'm saying. This is very high, this is beyond our science. It's intelligent it's all constructed and um yeah I, I could go on but um just if you look around image 11 you're going to see a lot of magical stuff yeah and keith so, or, or kathy are going to post the link probably in my section to the neville thompson very high resolution gigapan which is the right color the right shade the right con right everything neville got it 100 percent right and on that the more you look the more you're going to find. It's like being on Mars. It's that damn good. My question is, how did Neville Thompson get all this good, stunning imagery? It's because when the door became public, NASA was forced politically to put out the data because the, the questioning was becoming overwhelming by the people who paid for these images. Now, why did we get that first door image that went viral on the interwebs? I think it's because one of those people in JPL that Andrew Curry talked about some many, many months ago. Remember how he talked about all the bios of all these incredibly created and gifted people who are behind the scenes managing curiosity and perseverance? All it would take was one of those people breaking ranks and quietly, secretly, stealthily putting out on the web the stunning image of the door, and this entire thing was kicked off. Go ahead. Yeah, and image number 12, what you, I really find interesting is the walkway, and you can see that there's quite a bit going on there, and I think this is, again, part of their technology where this the rock would all have this, it would be magnetized, so they you didn't walk around um you would be floating like on my obe show i'm i'm always floating around on a, a round little pad that I have like a little hovercraft and because i think that's how these folks got around a lot was just they floated around they weren't walking up and down these structures they they could the the rock itself the planet is well hang on hang planet. on see i i've been wondering something i'm and, and let, okay, but let me direct you to another image because we have a much better image of what John is just talking to. And just let me get it. What you want to do is find my section. Looking for my section. Here we are. 
just scroll down to the bottom of John's where it says fast link to items. Click on Richard. Go down to my number. Um, number. Oh, it's number 11. How interesting. Number 11. Okay, this is a super close-up. This is not simple material. This is high-tech stuff. This looks like some kind of a holographic three-dimensional projection. However, you can tell that it's really 3D because if you look to the left, and maybe the wider angle is better, you see that kind of prismatic reflection at the base of the wall on the left between what I call the ramp and that vertical wall? You see that, John? Yes. That's a reflection of the three-dimensional alien figure, real alien figure that Robert Morningstar and I independently saw and kind of, you know, posted back and forth to each other because I wanted him to independently confirm there was a real figure there. There's actually more than one. Like good Martian art, it's a composite of several different images and you have to look at it for a while and then you'll see how the gestalt, the larger impression you're supposed to get is composed of smaller subset images. And I think, I originally thought this was a hologram because of the reflection on the wall I think this is literally a raised um, incredible insignia right there at the doorway to whatever this is. And I think you may be right, John, instead of walking up this uh, ramp or pathway, they could have floated. Yes, that's the impression I get. And Which means I they had been... control of gravity and, and inertia, like any good hyperdimensional physics people do. Oh, it, it would seem so magical if we could witness, go back in time and witness their technology. It would seem like magic to us, like you said, Richard. It, it's really incredible. So we're going back to your stuff, okay? Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, number 13 is just a close-up of the doorway, and I've highlighted a few things there. And I mean, there's so much stuff that jumps out at me but i've just highlighted a few See, one things. of the reasons we put all these images up is that long after the show is off the air you know when in the middle of the week you go to this you look at these images you listen to the show you open new doorways in your own mind to additional research study background check the internet for this check for that in other words we're building archives to our ongoing real-time investigation so if we don't get to every image forget it you can on your own time if you're a member of Club 19.5. So you'll have the context. So please go ahead. Yeah, number 14, I thought I'd add a little alien in there just to <laughs> give people. <laughs> and uh, a door, you know, transparent door. And um, I didn't put him on a, a floaty thing. I have him standing there, but I, I think he'd probably be on a little hover pad, a little hover pod, and he'd he'd come out. And, okay, well, this is speculation, but it's consistent. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. consistent. I mean, we're not looking at, you know, primitive Egyptian style technology. We're looking at something light years beyond that in our model, when it got to Earth, and we'll get to how that happened, it devolved. And apparently, it split. And we're going to talk about that in detail when I bring Ron on. Anyway, number 15. Number 15, this is an alternate, alternate angle. Okay, image. now this is an image which is incredibly controversial, even among some members of the team, 
given the fact that we've now documented that NASA is trying to screw us royally six ways from Sunday by mislabeling images, by mislabeling the traverse maps, by mislabeling everything, because if they, if they conceal where the rover really was when it took the pictures, we have no way of independently calculating the scale of anything, how big stuff is. That depends on geometry, but you got to know where you are. And what I discovered last night, to my chagrin, is that NASA has deliberately lied. I'll underscore that again. NASA's deliberately lied about the ancillary images around this discovery and are trying their level best to screw people up so they'll get tired, exhausted, exasperated. They'll go on to something more glamorous, you know, maybe the, the um, uh, you know, Johnny Depp trial or whatever. So this is all about distraction. Don't let them start thinking about what this all could mean. And you do that by throwing out an image that has no number, no provenance, as they say, no connection to a known verifiable reality, just to basically throw a spanner in the works. However, some of us, I being among them, think this is actual real data, that this is a real picture, cannot be from any of the solves uh, that we've looked at so far, because unless they're really hiding it and just this was leaked out as someone on the inside again who couldn't give us the number because that would tell instantly who it leaked. Um, there are things on this image that correlate with things I'd figured out earlier from the other angle. And so I am of the opinion that this is real, if controversial data, and we will leave that for other, other discussion later in the show. So go ahead. Yeah, I want to mention scale too, because for a long time I felt that these high-tech Martians were actually like an inch tall. And I thought of them as- Wait, 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 back up. Back up, you said what? They are very little people. Okay. The Martians were right. very small. You, yes. need, you need to back this up. Why do you think? What's the data that made you think they were an inch tall? From reviewing images, you know, the, the rover images, many images. I guess Rock Nest confirmed it for me. The one with the Sphinx in the background and the pyramid behind the Sphinx. Okay, Rock Nest was a site on, I believe, the past the um, uh, Pathfinder was that? Path- I believe so. Pathfinder mission with the little Sojourner rover. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I saw artifacts on those images way back when. This is 1997, and of course, I you know had Coast as a platform, so I put it out there that yes, Martians could in fact be much smaller than we expect as quote normal human beings, and I got a lot of pushback as they say at the time, and then it kind of dropped because, you know, things evolve. And I brought this up the other night, kind of in our in-house discussions, and I was surprised that some people are really resistant to the idea. So let me give a little backdrop. If you accept all the evidence of the hyperdimensional model, and if you accept, John, the idea, as we all do, that on Earth there have been creatures ranging from incredibly big like anybody remember Jurassic Park and the latest movie and Brontosaurus eye and Triceratops and in other words those guys were the biggest land creatures ever on the planet and then they disappeared and now we have life forms that the biggest are much 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 smaller and in the oceans 
the biggest life form is only possible on the scale of some ancient dinosaurs because they're floating in water. Their mass, their weight is, you know, counterbalanced uh, by the buoyancy of these massive, you know, whale creatures, humpbacks and sperm whales and all those guys who are related. Richard, yes. Yes, Ron? blew past the break. Oh, good. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if, if, if we stop now, can we, can we uh, just kind of recycle the count and edit quickly when you, when you do the show for air? Well, that's right. I would suggest you stop. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Yes. Okay. So we will continue this on the other side of midnight. Um, this is so interesting. I do get lost sometimes because the subject will not quit. You're on the other side of midnight. All of us now. The Americans, the Russians, the Chinese, everybody is looking for who's ever out there, the occupants of interplanetary craft. That's our current doorway for the U.S. government, the Pentagon, NASA, to find out, to let the rest of us know, are there aliens? Occupants of interplanetary craft. Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary craft. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. And welcome back on this Saturday night edition of The Other Side of Midnight, here from the Land of Enchantment, where we've had major thunderstorms, real gully washers, as my grandmother used to say. 
and it's raining on the fires. Pray that we get more rain on the fires. So welcome back on this Saturday night. Yes, that's Karen Carpenter singing one of my favorite songs of hers, What a Voice. But what she didn't say in the song, in fact, the Carpenters did not write this. I tracked down who actually did, and some night we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about them because they are very interesting in their own right. Um, I think it was a group called Klaatu, which is, of course, from that incredibly uh, important uh, uh, movie back by, uh, oh, what's his name, back in the 1950s, The Day the Earth Stood Still. He wound up eventually doing the one of the, well, the only Star Trek movie, the first Star Trek movie, and then it was handed off to other people. Uh, Robert Wise, Robert Wise, that was his name. Anyway, the only thing that uh, Karen doesn't say in this film, in this movie, in this video, is not only are they our friends, but they're our relatives. I mean, God help us. At least some of them. A nod to hyperdimensional physics with your mind. Energy far beyond the north. You close your eyes, you concentrate, together that's the way. To send a message, we need to lay Okay, welcome back, everyone. I think that's enough of a setup. So let me now go back to the the, the lines here. John, I, I want to bring in Ron right now because Ron um, Ron is our kind of resident generalist. Uh, he went to a couple of universities for a while, decided that wasn't for him, decided he would strike out on his own, traveled the world, studied ancient archaeology in the field, and somehow got trapped by walking through... <clears throat> the Martian doorway, and here we are. Ron, are you with us? Dejerb, Ron, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. There. I had to unmute. <laughs> you know, there should be a, a line on every tombstone, I forgot to unmute. Okay, go ahead. Why do you object to the idea that John now has brought into the conversation that we could be dealing with different scales of intelligent life on Mars, i.e., much smaller Martians. Uh, well, I, well, to answer the question the way you put that, uh, I think it's an unnecessary complication at this point. I mean, I, I won't be I won't be flabbergasted if it turns out there were little bitty Martians, but I'll be very surprised. Yeah, but that's even a pejorative, uh, little bitty Martians. We have little bitty humans on Earth. They're called not, pygmies. Yeah, please do not deny me my adjectives. I don't think that I, <laughs> I'm just emphasizing that it's an anomaly by itself that doesn't fit in with the others. But that's okay. I mean, I I, I expressed my opinion. I don't think there are little bitty ones. I've been hearing that for years, and it doesn't fit anything else. It's a real stretch to match them to what are probably extra dimensional beings, like the ones behind the stories of leprechauns, fairies. Uh, Mescalito and heaven knows what else. But is that, I mean, is that it? That's, uh, 
I, that's not the problem. The problem to me are things like the uncredentialed picture, but I do have a theory that allows for it. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, as people will see as the night goes on, as Jonathan has already alluded to and shown a couple of examples of, um, there are lots and lots of entrances to that complex, that collapsed arcology, that uh, barrow, whatever you want to call it, as there are many other places. And I believe that the fact that that first one that made the news item was so striking that the uh, folks on the inside, or if it was a leaker, they were successful because it got everybody's attention. But I, I believe to some on the inside, it was shocking that this was drawing people's attention in a direction they didn't want. And so by introducing a uh, faux example into the mix, they could then discredit anything else people came up with because there's lots and lots of them, not just that. So therefore, I consider it less important. I'm just being um, diligent here. Oh, and one last thing about that right now. The... Uh, Anybody that's looking at these and thinks that there's anything funny going on, uh, remember the letters MSL3466. If you just stick that in Google, because I know most people don't dive around in the archives like dolphins looking for fish in the pool, uh, they, uh, that will lead you to one of the orthodox panoramas. It'll, it'll be easy. It's, it's relatively current. It'll show up first try. And you go, oh, look at that. And you'll have lots of different size JPEG versions to examine. And you can see that even on those, you can see every bit of these things. You can see all of that stuff once you know where to find it. I'm you just know, developing and, a real fondness for Neville Thompson. And I'm thinking I should probably get him on the air because he's doing damn good work. Amazing work. Well, well, right now I'm looking on the screen at a at the place that Jonathan picked out right next to your gun emplacement. Um, then on the uh, standard, not even the large size um, of that uh, orthodox panorama, and you can see it. You can see it just fine. The fact that you can see it more clearly on one that's been diligently enhanced, like uh, Neville's or my stuff, or whoever else does them, Keith, anybody does a gigapan, uh, the, uh, yeah, that just reinforces it. I mean, I think it's important for people to know that this is not stuff that is the result of artifacting. You know, it's, uh, it's there. You can see it on the others once you know where to look for them. It's just confusing because there's so much of it. As with anything, if you're an amateur, if you're a dilettante, you will get what the deep state or the mainstream or the current, you know, gestalt of the culture is wanting to give you the only people who figure out things for themselves are those who ultimately get to the truth and i'm going to do a show at some point it's in the works where we talk about epistemology how do we know what we know and i will have a very celebrated epistemologist we're going to go through with this as an example among many things how do you tell in an environment where it's all coming at you like a freight train and there's no way you can decide because you've never had time to go and study any of this stuff in any depth. How do you decide what's real and what's fake? You know, the whole concept of fake news has been suddenly surrounding our culture. Well, in that environment, how do you tell where the truth is? How do you, how do you create a process to wend your way through the jungle on the, on the attacks of all the insidious non-stories and fake stories and misdirected stories and misdirected truths to where you can figure out something that you can hang on to that is real. 
that is testable. It, it, that conversation here is way overdue, and I think we're getting much closer. So, John, let's go to your number 16. Number 16. Okay, this is another entrance. And See, I look at and I say, damn with the damn entrance. What the hell is that thing sitting on that object next to the entrance? Yes, uh, and these we look for patterns, and you see these turrets on all of the barrows, and they'll be around the entrances in particular because they're self-defense. And um, you can see it in my one of my images. I think it's maybe the, the next image. Don't don't pass don't pass this by. Do you understand okay. what you're claiming? Yeah, and. How cool is it that it's made of rock? Because as it's I said, it's not they made have... of rock. John, get I... over it. It's not made of rock. Look at I the. I call dip. it rock, Richard, but you know what I mean. No, I don't. Nobody yes, else will either. It's not rock. Yes, it's magic. It's science. It's not magic. Ours. It's not magic. It's it's high tech composite material, but you it ain't know rock. What I mean, Richard. No, but nobody difficult. else will. Oh. I'm sorry. Yes, Words oh. have meaning. I'm a writer. Do not call this yeah. stuff rock. There isn't a damn rock on this. Set of images. Exactly. Well, it's I, I put in annotations in my images that this is all high tech stuff. Okay, it should so, be clear to everybody. So we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Three hours. This would seem fire like a lot of time, but we don't. So I want to go to the obvious gun that's the sitting gun. there. Yeah. The turret. Do you have all... Do you have any idea of scale? It would be pretty small, like uh, an inch or two. No way. <laughs> That's why the numbers are important. God, you guys, you can't guesstimate this stuff. That's why NASA has been so assiduous in trying to conceal the numbers. That's I was just going to defend Jonathan's use of language because we have to have words for him, and unless we make a term up, it seems fair to refer to them as something that looks like it. If anybody has a problem, just think Art Deco, where they had ridges and bumps and stuff on everything that was stylized. Yeah. Now paint it brown. Give it dirt. But in any case, I, I, wouldn't pay, I wouldn't pick on him about that. As far as the scale, I don't think it's that small either. But, well, it but small. see, hang on, hang on. Thinking is not about science. We can, we can measure this stuff, folks. This is I know we have a lot of science by people that don't think. Well, good. You have measurements on yours, right, Richard? Yes. Okay. So, so this, is, this is about the size of an ordinary anti-aircraft installation. The question is, is it? Does it fire ballistic shells or does it fire beams? Is it a beam weapon? As, beam John, weapon. as John, we don't know. I suspect you're right, and I'll tell you in a minute why I suspect you're right. From the first images of Curiosity, I began looking around Curiosity. I realized this was a very, very special site. The more I looked, the more that model was confirmed. This is like an incredible repository of human Earth-Mars interactions all in one 100-mile-wide crater and on the slopes of this thing called Aeolus Mons, that's Latin for, um, you know, mound, white mound, or, or it's called Mount Sharp, which is a nickname because of one of the prominent JPL geologists who was very much a part of the early Mars program going all the way back to Mariner 9. Very strange individual. I had lunch with him a couple of times. Very strange. Kind of reminds me of Peter Navarro in a weird way. Anyway, the object is one of 
countless objects now that all look like anti-aircraft installations. So we need to get over what we call the materials, because yes, that gun is not rock. Look at the barrel. Did you notice anything weird about the barrel, John? Yes, in my image number 18, I do a close-up, and you can see patterns in these turrets. Some will have bands. Sometimes the turret um, will just be all blue on the barrel of the weapon. Uh, you see some will be all red on the barrel. Oh, some that is a gorgeous job. Wow, you did a hell of a job on that. And I did not enhance that in any way. It's just zoomed in, oh, and you wondrous, can see it clearly. Wondrous. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you the, the $64 question. Look at the barrel. Mm -hmm. Why is it suffering from Peroni's disease? <laughs> it's a very uh, serious question. Because the rock, like I said, it's It's not rock. Tech. Stop I, it. I have to call it something. No, it's Mr. metal. It's a gun barrel. You know. But why is it sagging? Because it was malleable. No, and no, 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 no. Sorry. Call it an I item. It's a gun barrel. You can obviously see it it's narrows down at the tip of it. Look at the, yeah. you know. All right. So whatever yeah. it is, it's made of a high-tech material. Yes. We do not know. In 21st century Earth, we do not know how high-tech materials behave over anything longer than a few hundred years because we haven't had a high-tech civilization that made all kinds of cool stuff in fact most of it's only in the last you know few decades so we have no database for what happens to metals or crystalline substances or surmats or metallic glasses or any of the extraordinary things we can propose because we've now created them in the lab or things we can't even imagine what if over 30,000 years which is the minimum time I estimate that this stuff was new. 30,000 years. Imagine what would happen on Earth in 30,000 years. Nothing is left. Even the most ancient of ruins are claimed to be only a few thousand. But what if on Mars, with a different atmosphere, different composition, and different, you know, lack of oxidation, no oxygen, uh, dust storms that attack high-tech materials very differently than rock, Suppose over long periods of time, like 30,000 years, literal metallic objects like glass sags under gravity. In other words, it's creeping even as we're watching it. The material is, is sagging, but at the molecular atomic level and only over immense millennia does it become apparent on big objects. But when you look at that object, look at all the filigree, look at all the geometric uh, symmetry. There's no doubt in my mind this is a manufactured object of a material that should last forever, and obviously, even under Martian gravity, which is one-third ours, it's sagged because it's that damn old. I just thought of a very simple analogy to help with this, maybe. Okay. You're familiar with things like the Trevi Fountain in Rome? You know, where you're supposed to throw in a coin and then you'll come back. And There's stuff. a very, or, very famous song about that. Yes, or, an, or, yeah, well, almost, or almost any uh, Roman artistic endeavors if it was around a fountain. Now, it's not just a fountain. The point is they would have a gargoyle spewing water out of its mouth. Right. 
or in the or in the case of some famous and somewhat nefarious statues, you know, maybe there's water coming out of another part of a statue. Uh, but the point is, you know, they would make use of it. So there's there there's no real contradiction there. It could, the thing could be cast bronze. It could be uh, it could be carved rock that has tubing inserted into it. That's just the mm-hmm. way they did stuff. Okay. You know, it's it's no more. Yeah. But it's, it's obviously it's, sagging. Okay. So John, back to you. Yeah. What made yeah. you What made you think they would need all these weapons? Well, just by the sheer volume of them on this barrel alone, there's a few dozen, and they're on all the barrows. And we know Mars has got a history of being a warring planet. See, so... when you say barrel, I'm thinking England. Again, language is precise. These are not long barrows. Mm-hmm. They look nothing like long barrows. That's a bad analogy. They're collapsed ruins like like 9-11 these are collapsed buildings that may have been you want, re- go ahead well you want an orthodox term for it call them long houses that was a standard architecture for for instance vikings but many 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 others because they would have a common house where everybody went and it's just an upscale of that if you have the idea that a great big long barracks kind of place is a good central building in your community even if you have other separate houses or our colleges or anything else, then they just had that in their mind. They liked they liked a big interior space. What it looked like on the outside doesn't really matter. And if you, after years and decades of looking at these turrets and all these buildings, mm-hmm. you can see that there are patterns in these turrets, and it you get a feel from that, kind of an idea of the technology because they're shaped different. Their barrels will be different. There'll be different bands. You can see the technology in, in play. Okay. Uh, I want to add to John's model. I think he's right. I think these are beam weapons. And the reason is because on several of them, when curiosity first started exploring around Gale, I noticed some of them perched on the top of these collapsed arcology mounds. They had power cables running from down below up the cliff, up the collapsed structure, ending in the object with the barrel. And you wouldn't need a – these are big, big, you know, thick cables. They stood out from the background. They're not crevices. They're not shadows because of cracks in the, quote, underlying rock. They are three-dimensional, suspended in some places above the, the background surface. They hang in some other areas. There's one area where there are tons of them, too many to count. It, it looks like spaghetti. But they're 3D cabling, which indicates to me they were a more recent installation on the ancient, ancient megatech that is millions of years older than this stuff. And basically, they were set up with power as beam weapons to defend these sites like Gale. Or I haven't seen any at Perseverance site yet, but I haven't really, honest to God, had a chance to really look. Here's my point. Here's my point. If you have a defense, what is it defending against? This implies a later epic of Martian civilization where a once unified culture may be fragmented into separate nation states, some guys wanting to take over other guys because they found incredibly high tech. Does this sound familiar? So they had to set up defenses so they could protect their piece of the pie 
from everybody else on Mars who is trying, as the planet is dying all around them, to scramble for their piece of the high-tech pie. In other words, the dissolution of the last civilization on Mars made the uh, billboard in Seattle, will the last person to leave Seattle please turn out the lights, look like a pale echo of the past. And uh, oh, go ahead, Ruggiero. Um, yes, I just wanted to point out, um, reference to what you're saying, if you look at my item number three, Richard. Uh, okay, let me give you a proper oh. intro. Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. Well, you can't tell the players literally tonight without a scorecard. So, Ruggiero is an athlete representing the uh, locality in sprint running for 100, 200, and 400 meters was a youth county swimming champion, went on to race with and coach the university team. And you can read all that background. What's relevant tonight is that you are currently in the medical profession. I believe you are a podiatrist. That's right, yeah. And he does incredibly high-tech sketching. And what I've asked him to do over several years now is to sketch this stuff from a completely objective third-party perspective and he has come up with astonishing stuff. So, Ruggiero, with that as background, what did you find between last week and tonight? Um, well, on my item number two, I drew the door. Right. And, uh, Which gets much bigger when you click on all these on the other side of midnight. They get much bigger. And you can, you can see, firstly, on, on the top of the door, the lintel that's, uh, that's sticking out. And I've labeled it. A number of lines on it which has got uh, a b c d it, it, it kind of like shows that they're all moving to a triangulated peak mm. so it's very geometric obviously this uh, the structure we're seeing um that was my my first intriguing thing and then um later you forwarded me on a image of um, what looked like some brickwork so i drew it and um that's my image number eight. It's kind of like bricks with lines going through it. Um, but what I wanted to, I'll get onto that later. I wanted to talk about the item number number three. And um, have you, you got that in front of you, Richard, my item three? Yes, I do. And you can see coming out of the wall, uh, which is, this is quite an incredible um, mount. It's got loads of features on it. Uh, I focused on this section. This tubing section one is kind of like translucent. It's pancake high-tech stuff. That's all it is. Yeah. But I don't think many people have seen this before. This is, uh, we, we haven't reviewed this on the, on the show before. And incredible tubing, like snake-like stuff coming out mm-hmm. of the wall. One clear section, which is section one. And then two looks like it's got some, if it was an electrical um, tube or feature you can see the metal work inside in the middle and then number three is vague you mean you mean that that feature at the top near the top which uh, you marked as tubing two which yeah. looks like a coax cable with a connector in the middle that's right tubing three um vague that's what i think i'm seeing but tubing one was interesting because it looks like those those lava tubes you know they're also translucent um that we see historically on on mars so i you mean I, you mean the big things called the tunnels not the lava yeah, the massive they're tunnels yeah yeah yeah, yeah. anyway more i think smash flat pancake high-tech stuff and what mm-hmm. about the bright white 
iconic. That is a symbol for somebody. It looks kind of like a letter three there. Which one are you uh, talking the, about? Uh, the two read one, two read two, two read three. In the bottom right quadrant of that photo, you have this bright lit oh, yeah. icon. You mean the bottom yeah. right corner? Yes. The corner of the picture. Okay. Kind of looks it like looks like through the bottom of the. Yeah, it looks like the Michelin man throwing a frisbee. Something. It is something. Yes. It, that is. So the problem is we're at the limit of resolution. We know NASA's got yeah. much better imagery. They just don't share it for obvious reasons. Okay. Uh, we are we are definitely yeah. um, needing to move along because it's already Thanks, at Richard. the bottom of the hour. Well, we'll we'll have you back. Don't don't go where don't go go anywhere. Uh, what we're trying to do tonight is to kind of put into proper perspective what does all this mean and for the very beginning i was searching when i first realized back looking at sidonia that stuff this stuff was real i was looking obviously because the face on mars looked like you know faces here on earth i thought to myself could there have been some connection some terrestrial connection between what I'm seeing on Mars, just a tiny, tiny fraction of what we now know is all over the planet, and the incredibly ancient but high-tech, as they're called, high civilizations here on Earth. And tonight, when we come back from the break, we're going to show you actual hard evidence that there is, in fact, a terrestrial connection with the monuments of Mars. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month. 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
And welcome back, everyone, on this uh, Saturday night, June 18th. By the way, happy uh, Juneteenth to everyone. Tomorrow is the actual formal holiday with Monday, the federal holiday signed into law by the president just about a year ago. And um, oddly enough, in future shows, well, let me just kind of hold that thought, okay? So back to our guest of the morning, Ruggiero. You were taking me through your items, and we're about to get to the good stuff. So please continue. I'll get back to my items. Um, Yeah, so on item three, which we were just discussing, I think a nice, interesting point is to compare it to the coral. Can you see the coral-looking type thing or whatever it is, just crystal structure underneath? The one that we should call the flower. (laughs) The flower. Yeah, so what I always like to do is look at the contrast of the background um, of the images we're seeing. So on number number four, it looks very natural. I'm not going to deny that that doesn't look like sand with uh, either a Well, here, here, here is my problem. You're on mm. a planet where we know from measurements, again, it all comes down to measurements, <clears throat> you've got 300-mile-an-hour winds during the dust storms. Mm. Have you ever been in a dust storm or a sandstorm in the desert? No. Even if the atmosphere of Mars is like one-tenth of Earth, in a real good dust storm or much more frequent, these vortices, these, uh, uh, you know, uh, vortexes, these, say again? Dust devils. Yeah, dust devils. I was going to get there. That they, they, they have vicious erosive properties because the winds in those are several hundred miles an hour. Robin and I were on our way to... Uh, um, Arizona one afternoon and we drove through one of those because it was literally in the middle of the highway and like an idiot I didn't stop it was it was in, if I'd had a bowling ball on the hood of the car by the time we got through the other side half the paint on the bowling ball facing forward would have been stripped off it was yeah. that the wind velocity the sharp particles because you know sand is mostly glass silicon dioxide on every planet so, yeah, imagine this delicate little thing, which is just inches high, and how long it's been there exposed to vicious, vicious Martian weather, how anybody can say this is some crystalline material and is not potentially a life form, because if it was an ancient crystalline material, it would have been gone a thousand years ago, which is nothing but a blink of an eye in the... Uh, geological time frame of Jezero that uh, uh, Perseverance is exploring. So to me, again, someone leaked this out from inside because they want us to ask questions beyond the edge of the NASA paper. You see, Richard, when I see this little uh, piece, I'm going to call it coral. I'm not going to call it a flower. Okay. Um, Have you been to the Natural History Museum in England? Not really, because it was huge and the doors were closing, and that's one place that Robin and I didn't get. Yeah, so, you know, you've always, when you look at images like these. But I used to be at the American Museum in New York, so we've got very similar stuff, so. Okay, so you, you always have to look at this from a scientific background, which we are, obviously. Um, and struck me, you have to be open minded as well when, when looking at uh, these features. Is when I was younger and I went to the to the Natural History Museum. I went and took my mum up. We had a fossil. I went and I wanted to present it to the, uh, to the people up there, to the 
to their uh, what was it called? the curators of the museum. And while I was going up there, they had this fascinating section of all the gemstones and then different rock forms like lava rock, mm-hmm. crystals, etc. But they didn't have coral. Now, really? No, not like I can remember. Now, I've seen coral. I've dived, picked it up off the beach. And one of the things that you notice in particular about coral, for those who haven't had the chance to see it, is it's porous and it's got lots of little holes. Um, so it, it leaves its skeleton. It, coral is filter feeder, right? It's a filter feeding animal and it lives inside, a, I guess, an exoskeleton. Yeah, and it's basically Correct. calcium carbonate, which is the same okay. material that the Great Pyramid yeah. is built of and a whole bunch of ancient structures on Earth. Yeah. So when we look at this little coral feature, you can see that lines with holes, which this resolution, which is pretty good. No, it's damn good. Look, on the left-hand pedal, it's crystal clear, and I'm from the screen. Yeah. So there's quite good evidence that it's possibly biological or was, or it's it's a crystalline structure. Uh, it can be difficult to determine the two. When you go to the British Museum and you look at uh, ancient lava and you look at other crystal forms, they look quite similar. So I'm, I'm not going to say this is what it is, but it looks like coal. I'll come back to my other feature, which is number three. Okay. okay? And then we, we look at just how damn weird <laughs> and, and non-biological the tubing is coming out of the wall. Now, as in, for any scientist out there, you know, who looks at feature number three, you have to say, what the hell is that? Because it's not normal and it's not, it's not um, geological. See, curiosity and perseverance both have the capability of telling us, the American people, the taxpayer who paid the $2.7 billion for each mission, they have the capability on site on Mars now to tell us precisely what all this stuff is. Precisely. And they will not. That makes me very unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. We, me and you, Richard, we've both been agreement. We've been over um, that image of the of the hill mound, which has got a turret. It's got mm-hmm. a wheel on it. It's got uh, even a disc with a tube coming out. I've forwarded you all this stuff, you know, and uh, it's quite incredible. What I've come to make tonight, and I'll let the others say uh, a few bits, is I want people to see the scientific contrast between the sandy bottom and this corally feature of image four and the oddity of image number three which unfortunately the resolution is not high enough for us to complete the what it is but it's pretty it's jumping out at you and it's for the audience okay. to make their own let me go back to john and i want to do a setup here john uh you need to go back to my images so find the nearest fast links to items, click on my name, okay. go down to number um, 13, okay? One of the stunning things is if, if, when you look at the door, which is, the, I think it's the preceding number. I probably should do this for, no, it's uh, um, look at number 10, okay? 10's a good one. You see that, that left-hand side before you get to the door? Yeah. What I call a wall, mm-hmm. which really looks like a kind of a sheared off part of what used to be a building built out in front of this mound, this archaeology, this barrow, whatever you want to call it. And then mm-hmm. you get to the door, the door jam, 
which we'll get to later. It's, got, it's amazing. It has hieroglyphs on it. Last time geology had hieroglyphs was never. Anyway, so you look at this wall to the left of the, of the ramp, right? Mm-hmm. Now we want to go to my number um, 13, okay? Yep. Looking around the site, I look to the, to the right of the door, not very far away, and kind of in the background in the deep shadows, I found this. This is now an enlargement. Look at all those regular blocks. And yeah. at the very end of that, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten that I can see. And they're stacked up, not evenly, but staggered where you build a wall or a cladding to protect against earthquakes. Because if you line everything up, as they, you know, in the ancient ruins in, in Peru demonstrate, walls will fall down in earthquake country. So if you want the wall to stand or something, you know, cladding the surface of another structure, you build it with these staggered courses of regular blocks. These are not square. They're, they're, they're thin, like a, like, like a coating, but they're individual masonry blocks. And they appear to have some kind of imaging pictures, figures, freezes, three, in other words, if we had resolution just twice as good, we would not be ambiguous about what this wall is trying to tell us, but this was an entrance, a much bigger, more grand entrance to the real entrance to this ancient mound, which is not where the door is, but where somebody earlier built this stuff and went into another part, which is kind of, I think, over under your high second entrance way on the top of the ridge john mm-hmm. so now what we want to do you said i asked you specifically i tasked you i said find me more examples of more walls and oh my god did you come through so now take a look at the next image look at number 14 this is your image describe how you found it and what you think it is well, I mentioned to you that there are other examples of the wall throughout this mound. Complex, and complex. This complex. Now, I've been working with Maria at Stonehenge and all these mounds for the last few months, so you have to forgive me, Richard, because I've got barrels on the brain. But um, anyway, this mound, yes, and you said send an example, so this was one example, and it's looks very much like the stone wall you just were talking about and it's offset with these blocks and I think it runs we're seeing the construction of these mounds we're getting a peek inside yeah here John is the exquisite wonderful problem which is going to bring you and Ron directly into uh, discussion have you measured the size of those obvious blocks or bricks I have not, and I'm running with the someone. Someone said the doorway was two inches tall, so that's kind of what I've been running with. Is that no, scale. no, 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 no. Measurements, measurements. Okay. Since you haven't and nobody's had time to measure, I do have one advantage because I know roughly where this was taken, and it's literally a few feet from Curiosity. It's right down front. It's like almost the last stuff you see before the bottom of that extraordinary gigapan which means it's very close so now you can guesstimate 
it's a couple of feet away. How big are those are those bricks, blocks, whatever? I don't know. They're tiny. They're mm. small. They're yeah. inches. Now look on the bottom right. You see all that high tech stuff? Mm-hmm. Above and at the very bottom of the frame before you get to all the other images you were looking at, which I left just to show people how many things you have to go through to find, you know, gold, to find a signal in the noise. Now, do you notice something else about this wall, which is frankly impossible if this is just natural rock? Well, a few things is all the colorful. Ah, where's that coming from? Yeah, it's Clark's third law is all over this place. No, 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 no. On the wall (laughs) itself, on the little bricks that we're seeing right in the middle of the frame. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. see the brightness. Those are reflections. Yeah. Bright reflections. Where are they coming from? They're They're coming from... Not from the rover. What was that? They're not from the rover. This isn't sunlight scattering off some polished piece of metal on on the rover. I believe it has to do with the construction of the rock. It's materials within the rock. Because like it's I not said, this, rock. It's metallic. I'm calling it rock. Please don't. You, please, you know John, what I mean. John, John, please do not. Because every time you mention rock, you play into NASA's stupid hands. Because they're dismissing all this as just rock. It's not rock. It's ancient, fossilized, high-tech. I it's mean, super-tech rock. It's It's not rock. (laughs) Anyway, the reason you're getting reflections is because you see that big chunk in the lower right-hand corner with the obvious Mm -hmm. embedded Mm -hmm. in it. Yeah. Because all this stuff used to be buried in mud. It was literally fossilized after it collapsed. And it's now eroding away the fine stuff, the mud. So we're seeing more and more of the entrails of the high-tech materials that were sandwiched and fossilized in this mud. On the other side, between this object in the bottom right and the wall, there is a facing. There's there's, there's a flat surface. That surface is so reflective, it's bouncing light at an angle onto that wall. And rocks, as we define them, cannot, do not, unless they're polished, unless they're polished granite or polished tourmaline or polished whatever, they can not do that. I'm sorry if I sound adamant, but words are important. You do. I'm going to come Good. up with a new term that will satisfy you. Oh, Magic I love it. I love it. Something. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> I was no. just going to say, let's call it far, let's call those things item by item a farful. <laughs> call call it a farful. See, this is why Shakespeare was wrong. Because you can't just name anything, anything. As Stan Tennant's work showed, the very language we're talking tonight has its ultimate roots through Hebrew into ancient hyperdimensional language and terminology. And that's an old, long discussion, and I can't talk we're to ta- We're talking partly or largely to the anomalist community, and they're always making up preposterous words for everything. I don't want to join any club, any club that would have me as, as a... Well, then let him call it a rock. No, it's, it's not rock. It's just a metaphor. It it's no, a it's not. Rock. For, people listen, rock? for people listening to this, if you say rock, they'll think it's rock. It's not. It's high-tech, okay. AI-engineered, composite, incredibly advanced engineering material. Well, that rolls off the tongue. And, and we that's what that. I mean when that. I say rock tech. Yeah, but yeah, with you people, I mean. with you, you're, if you say rock, people are going to get the wrong 
I'm sorry. I just Well, that's why I had item number, whatever my item 14, where I say rock tech and I give some examples. I annotate it saying, I mean, they used this material, this very super advanced high-tech material for so much of their civilization, all aspects of it. It's incredible. Yeah, I call it, all right. I call it intelligent architecture, fossilized intelligence, because I think the circuitry was embedded in every wall, every floor, every yes. panel. And of yes. course, you could literally, there was a, a brilliant novel written by my old friend Arthur C. Clarke many decades ago called The Machine Stops. And the, and the occupant, the, the, the hero, was a guy named Alvin, who had grown up in this incredible high-tech surrounding environment where he, all he had to do was think of something and it materialized. All he had to do was wish he could be with someone else and he was there. Or they were, in other words, it was the kind of magical technology that Arthur loved to write about. And then one day he wakes up and nothing is working. He's mm. in a box. As Art used to say when the power went out, he said, every home is just a damn box. And he doesn't know how to get out of his room, let alone out of this arcology, because he's living in a huge megalopolis arcology, miles and miles tall and wide and high and whatever. Arthur, of course, thought of that coming off uh, old Stapleton. And Alvin, to survive, has to leave the, the womb, the nest. He has to leave his room, which has provided him with every comfort he can imagine just by thinking. And he has to make his way outside. And, of course, the story is what Alvin finds when he's forced to leave the cradle. Ziakovsky, you know, Earth is a cradle for humankind, but everyone has to leave the cradle eventually. So what we're looking at is the remains, the shattered remains of an incredibly high-tech material that literally would do things that we would consider magic because it was tied in with hyperdimensional physics and torsion fields and literally like the krell it was a machine to make anything appear anywhere in any size form or function anywhere on the planet etc etc go see the movie so it's not rock all right i'm going to make one more attempt to come up with a piece of jargon here because yeah we shouldn't be wasting time uh disputing it nobody disagrees with you richard uh how about we take the word that jonathan was using <laughs> which was conveniently misspelled on the web page tech t-e-c-k instead of h a typo tech, yeah tech, no tech, i love tech. it i love and, it uh, yeah. uh, just call it tech or even m tech or uh, m that, for m m for mars yeah, exactly. Okay. M dash tech, and that's portal. How's that? I love a, it we because need a generic words so we don't waste we time. Need, we need uh, to get you, we need to get away from it's not NASA's rock, and if you fall into their trap, it, we we've lost the war because it's all about a war for the hearts and minds and souls of people looking at this and saying, "Well, for God's sake, of course that's what it is." So, mm -hmm. moving on, moving on. Um, Ron, I want to go to your shiny object. Oh, good. Yeah. Right at the top of my, right, uh, thanks to Keith's amazing skills of doing things at the last effing minute. Tell them how uh, to get there. Long story. Scroll down through the list of pictures. I've been waiting for you to say, ask me for that. It's much faster than going through the links, but there are links right under the show, show page banner. But you can just look, uh, just scroll down. Every They're all sequential, one after the other. It takes seconds. But... Or you can go to where it says guest page, which well, is right under well, the banner, and pick on the name. Your section is right after John. So if we're looking at John's 18, your zero 
is right below it. Yeah, well, all they see, all clicking on the link does is bring that to the top. Like I'm looking at it on the laptop right now, and it's uh, I'm right under where it says okay. guest page. Mine, mine moved up to first. Oh. Well, there you asked. Oh. Okay, number one, number zero. Yeah, is this is the an item from uh, not from that spot. This is from Perseverance uh, over in the the other crater, uh, <laughs> over in Jezero, and uh, it's uh, the shiny object that was a minor news blip in the past few days. So I found the originals of it, and they had cropped it, the picture. Actually, it takes two pictures to get there, but you can see it, they're perfect match. Um, so the, on the right side of that one, and I suggest that everybody blow it up nice and big, um, you can see there's the shiny piece of foil. I don't I don't really doubt them on that. That's probably exactly what it is, piece of, uh, wow. piece of the path parachute or something i do but look i do no that's not anything do you, you see? say you don't think it's part of the rover no okay, that's fair no well you okay. know what you know st- slow down slow down the reason i don't is because look at all the little tiny dots in a geometric pattern on the surface yeah they, they even mentioned that in the news report as if that's something that the lady that sews those together could answer, but I, I'm not convinced. It is a material three-dimensional piece of metal. It looks to me like it could be aluminum or maybe titanium or whatever. The I-beam next to it looks to me to be like a Martian I-beam that's eroding and is probably um, iron or some high percentage iron. And then the other stuff that's eroding weirdly Oddly enough, it looks a little bit like some of the artifacts in the Antarctic. It's all mm-hmm. high tech. There's not a rock there. It's all, what are we calling it now, rock tech or, or Mars tech? Ancient. M-tech. See, the, M-tech. See, you need to attach the ideas incredibly old. This is millions of years old. Nobody did this yesterday. This is the most ancient, intelligent epic for Mars when it was colonized by somebody. Here's their problem. This was something that was absolutely unmistakable if somebody were to look through the pictures. And yet they're saying that, you know, it blew up against it. And they're asking whether the wind blew it to two miles or something. No, look, it's wedged in there solidly and it's stiff. I don't think it's thin enough. It's nothing from the rover. Give me a effing break. All right. Don't accuse don't accuse me of their. You know, problems. I'm not I'm just giving I'm it a not. forensic assessment. Okay, well, on the other side, well, it has a three dimensional character. It's actually, it, it, yeah, uh, the upper right hand corner, it's bent, meaning it's malleable. It's not yeah. fabric. It's not, it, it's, it's a piece that has been broken, bent over, has, in other words, it's a, it's a solid chunk of something that's been manufactured and somehow through some catastrophe landed there. It's not from the rover no right. way it might have been attached it might have been attached to some to a part of whatever the rubble the remains of are around it because that looks architectural whatever it and, well, and if you remember, below, remember, if I, remember you, I asked you does the i-beam sticking up out of the sand and you said no it's lying down no it's yeah. sticking up it reminds me remember that one of my favorite star trek uh, star trek um stargate sg1 episodes when they go to the planet and they're talking to the Ishan and wondering what's going to yes. happen and all that. And then they call it iron root. They, yes. they, the, some farmer says, Hey, can you guys help me with this? And there's this big hunking eye beam sticking out of the ground. He says, we got this damn iron root all over. And of course it's an exquisite term because it describes yeah. exactly 
what an ancient buried civilization of high-tech stuff would leave on the surface when the surface was several feet higher than it used to be back when this was new. Absolutely, and you're right. You're right. That's a good. Uh, that's a good term for it. But if you look at the bottom of that picture before we even go over to the left, see that you only get the tiniest quarter inch or something of the top of those two those slabs that are just sticking mm-hmm. up out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And and the re- oh, and by the way, the reason I said it wasn't sticking up but was lying down is there are other pictures in that same area which are not connected with this, and they are. I thought they were when I was trying to piece them together, and they they are exactly that. They are very metallic looking stuff. Uh, and it's lying flat. That's all. But the uh, those other things, those are architectural. Those are like slabs of uh, decorated stone, like you would have. Or maybe not stone. See, the reason I say they're not stone is because I see corrosion. I see chemical corrosion, either oxygen or fluorine or hydrochloric. In other words, rock does not do this, but metals do. Acid right. well, or that's... oxidation will eat away at metallic things through oxidation. That's what that looks That's like. fair. Yeah, well, it's like they have a strap wrapped around the outside edge. Mm-hmm. That might even be separate material. Yeah, John, your, your, your thoughts sure. on this amazing image? I would agree with your assessment. Ruggiero, what do you think? Um, I'm mixed on my opinion. It's very out of place, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> that's, that's good. So it's an oopart. Yeah. That's okay. An, that's, well, an acronym. Even... that's an acronym for out of place artifact. Upart. Yeah. Right. Richard, I haven't slept in two days, and so I've got a lot of caffeine in me. So I apologize for jumping on everything. Okay. Uh, the uh, but on the left hand side is an old old picture from Curiosity, and the thing that the reason that I had had it saved and everything else. There's other stuff elsewhere in the image that you can't see. Oh, it's here, it's but, Saul one twenty one. Yeah, that's pretty early. Uh, well, at sort of at, uh, upper center, there's a uh, piece sticking up, which has an obvious very flat side. And I believe the material is very, very shiny. It is so shiny that it is reflecting both the color and to some distorted of the um, content. Mm-hmm. Did we lose Ron? Oh, well. All right, what he's saying is that there's another way to tell what this stuff might be made of. It doesn't, it doesn't look like rock because some of it is incredibly polished and highly reflective. And all I'll say is that if, 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 if you take a large mass of metallic um, structure with holes in it, with rooms, with corridors, with cavities, think of the World Trade Center, okay, again, and you smash it flat, and you compress every space in there so that there's no space between the floor and the ceiling, and it's all some kind of incredible high-tech composite metal. And then you encounter it, and you have the tools to slice through it, not pickaxes, but something like lasers or something like that. You will get a surface, because basically this is a solid machine metallic surface after the collapse, you'll get a beautiful polished surface and that's what we're seeing on that left-hand wall in front of the door. That's why it reflects the figure, the three-dimensional figure at the top of the ramp before you enter the tunnel. And if I didn't mention it, I think we're looking 
at the guys who actually did all of this, I think we're looking at a picture of a true alien, the cosmic engineers, who basically came to the solar system and redesigned it so we, consciousness, would evolve in some direction on more than one world, so like more than one experiment, and something went radically wrong. And here we are, trying to figure out what the F happened. Ron, are you back? Time, Richard. Oh, yes, I am. I had my, I had my phone muted for okay. a second because I was... And see, you've got, you can't let me run over the damn hours. I'm doing my thing. You've got to watch somebody. You've got to watch the time. This is really very unprofessional. So, good thing is we can fix it in post, as they used to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know we're throwing a lot at people tonight, particularly if you have just kind of migrated over from hearing me on Georgia tonight. And this is partially by design because I've spent with all my colleagues and friends the last, what is it, five years? No, seven years. I have been doing this show, The Other Side of Midnight, egged on by Art, good old Art Bell. And of course he left. (laughs) And we've been building... Show by show, story by story, episode by episode, a tapestry. In part, looking at the world, looking at what's going on. In part, looking at new scientific discoveries. And in part, following the clues through the metaphorical Martian doorway to our own ancient history in our model. Well, tonight, it's kind of all coming To a climax, this is the beginning, I believe, in this long investigation, for all the reasons I mentioned at the top of the show. I mean, the Chinese tonight are claiming they've heard signals from some damn intelligent civilization, unknown light years away. Now, they haven't given us the data, but for the government of China to go on record claiming they've heard signals, intelligent signals from somewhere out there. That's trying to tell us something. And we're going to try to answer what it might be trying to tell us when we return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Don't touch that dial. Side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nonlinearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. 
theothersideofmidnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. <clears throat> Sorry. I have a frog in my throat, which is kind of hard in the desert. Welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. This is now Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday morning here in the Land of Enchantment. I think there's a moon out there, but we've had thunderstorms. Oh, I love thunderstorms. They literally clear the air. You know how hard it is to live with intermittent smoke? You never know when you're going to wake up and, oh, why can't, uh, uh, oops, it's, it, it's back. The smoke is back. Oh, anyway, for a couple of three days, I hope the fires are cooled by the extraordinary rains we've had up north, and uh, we get a respite because boy, do we need it. So back to the conversation. Uh, do we have Tim Saunders with us, Mr. Saunders? Are you there? I don't think I hear Tim. So Keith, do you want to go and see if we can find Tim? And I will, um, I'll vamp. Uh, Ron, you were going to say something before the break, okay? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly when the phone cut, cut off. Whatever I was saying, it was the interesting thing I was saying right then. But, um, well, we were talking about iron root and the fact that yeah, yes, you yeah, look yes, at all yeah. this stuff. If you know what you're looking at, if you have this extraordinary database that our team has had, you look at the stuff and you say, of course it's artificial. The gap between what we know, looking at these images, and what the general population do not know because they've been kept in a basement and fed, you know what, so they grew up to be very dumb mushrooms, is like night and day. And I keep wondering what's going to be the magic doorway which changes this. I'm going to read probably uh, – go, go ahead. At the bottom of the hour, I'm going to uh, read – some of the responses we've gotten, but you have a response right now, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of related to that. Uh, like I said, it was as usual with enterprise, a lot of stuff was at the last minute. And one of the pictures that's up there on my page, I wasn't going to put up tonight, but close enough for government work. Uh, number four, uh, if you look at that, you will see. Oh, the dinosaur you know, statues. Uh, it looks like an yeah, it looks like an alien to me. But uh, the uh, yeah, if you look at the uh, on the right side, of course, is you know it's enlarged considerably. And look at is that an eye? Oh my God, what a weird uh, omphalos or whatever it is. But if you look at the well, wait, wait, the, the, I, I see two objects side by side. The one on yeah. the left looks like a dress block. It looks incredibly geometric. It's got the right you know perspective angle. You're looking up and all that. The one on the right does look like the head of a statue, and I said dinosaur, but believe me. Makes me think of Easter Island. You could be, yes, exactly. But why is it on the top of this much, 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 much more ancient stuff? uh, Well, there's more up there. That's why I posted it this way, even though I wasn't going to include it tonight. If you look at the extreme upper right edge of the full frame, you know, on the left, I can see the image yeah. number on it. Yep. You'll see there's some more of whatever. There's some more of that stuff that it's anomalous for the area. It does not look like any of the stuff we've been describing all through the show today. Uh, 
the uh, you'll see there's some obviously there's some more of that stuff right there. So I think there's like a sculpture garden or a building or something sitting up there on top of all. Well, of this. if you well, or there are there there once was and this is all that's left or something. But that yeah, exactly that thing looks like a statue, like a head, and next to it looks like some kind of a geometric uh, thing. It doesn't look like a rock. It's got two sharp corners and edges, and it's broken off. Now look at the on this very close up. Look at the strata underneath this head. John, what do you notice? I think every inch of this is carved and sculpted. It's not carved. God, you've got to go get away from the rock. No, it's no, no, no. It's eroding flat smash plates of pancake high-tech building. Yeah, it was all made of buildings, constructed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you fight every term I come up with, Richard, but you because know Because it I was mean. not carved. No, I don't know what you mean. Yes, this is all construction. And if I don't, nobody else will. But yeah, well, the is, statues were carved with the stuff underneath them. I think it's, the statues. It's not just. I think the statues really could be rock carving. The, the stuff below it. No, I. Look at the plate. Look at the look at the thin plates. This is the clearest example, thank you, Ron, I've seen of the yeah. smash flat pancake high tech structure theory. Yeah, but it was still it was still manufactured to form ahead of time. It wasn't just plain and it gave. Oh no 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 no. It's incredibly complex. But when you smash even super strong stuff together, eventually it will it will break. It will smash. It will collapse. Yeah. For instance, if you look, uh, and I'm not sending people back. Well, it's not part of the posting, so they, I can't. But I said that I was looking at the at one of the uh, NASA po- uh, panoramas of the area with the doors. Uh, it um, and just even looking on there, if you look through Jonathan's the area with Jonathan's door and the the MTech there with the barrel, which I now figured out what it is. Uh, I'll tell you in a second. It uh, you can see there's a bunch of faces. Are we looking at a number? Floor. Do we have an image number? Any of the panoramas will work. I'm you gotta fix us on it. one. Come on, one. Pick one. The area that Jonathan tagged as the other door. He's got a picture that's got that colorized and everything. You can find number that on seventeen. Any of the I yeah, think it's number okay. it, number seventeen, John. Uh, I have to go look here. It, but. it wouldn't matter any once you know from that one from of of Jonathan's where we're talking about the area that's shown there. Look it up on any panorama. It's easy to find. You know, just the, anybody could find it, and and you will see the same thing. Even on the ones that are totally un, they may be molested by NASA, but actually they're pretty good looking. You don't have to go to the Thompson pan or anything else. It's just it's on there on all of them. And you'll see a bunch of faces to the left of the door. And strangely, they're all looking to the right, like they're kind of watching the doorway. Uh, but the as to the thing with the barrel, it's a Wi-Fi amplifier. That's what it looks like to me. And You've got to be kidding. Go... I'm sorry. No, a bunch of little antennas for an electrical distribution system. Why not? Now, what I see in your image, Ron, with, that we were just talking about, uh-huh. uh, whatever that is on top, uh, you have the close-up on the right. Yeah. But what I see beneath those stones at the top is a serpent. I mean, they love – it's either human faces or animals. So the face is on the left <clears> – <throat> And 
you see the eye and like the, the nose and the snout and you kind of have this dark crest along the top of the serpent and but I, I see these creatures I mean everywhere on these mounds they'll have a, a creature or a human or okay let me let me try to put this sort in, of Martian gothic let yeah. me let me yeah. kind of put this in in the TikTok timeline context mm-hmm. if we had a ancient super civilization and then there was this war and Mars had a whole moon destroyed and two of them actually according to Van Flandern and the solar system kind of had to shift because one whole planet got blown to kingdom come and is still shifting and the physics is really cattywampus. So you've got this incredible godlike high-tech civilization and it collapses. But the environment isn't totally destroyed. So later sub-civilizations can emerge can evolve even on Mars under those conditions and eventually reach technological competence, okay? And they look around, obviously they looked around long before, but they look around and they see all this other ancient stuff. And unlike here on Earth, it's so obvious that they were not the first. That what's the first thing they do when they can, the capability? Like Al Mamun and the Great Pyramid, remember the Arabic story of how he tried to use uh, uh, fire and vinegar to break the, the blocks and get inside the Great Pyramid when it had the casing stones. There was no obvious door, but he knew it was, somebody built it, you know, big mountain, so he broke in. Mm-hmm. Well, these cultures, every later culture, I think, looked around and decided to break in to these ancient, ancient collapsed mausolea looking for stuff, looking for technology, for, the, for God, for how they originated. In other words, looking into their past to try to determine their future. We're doing the same. Mm. Now, yeah. on that model, if you look on, uh, is it 16 or 17? Uh, I have to go back and look. Oh, darn. You know, I don't want to get out of this. Okay, it is uh, number 17. I'm using 17 because it has, it has, you know, letters on it. Blow it up. When you click on it, it's very large. You see where you've written, John, the, the words entrance? Yes. Do you see those long, linear features below entrance? Oh, yes. Those oh, are the yes. cables. Those are the fossilized cables of whatever building this once used to be for power, light, optical, whatever they are. They're not cables. Yes, they are. <laughs> and you know how They're I know? high-tech, super-tech cables doesn't matter they're cables well i'm just right. giving you and the i and i know and I, and, I, and, I, and I don't mean the kind that were used to you know suspend the 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 deck of the golden gate bridge these Richard, are, it looks like prometheus yeah the, uh, right Hans, above it there's Hans a whole Ge- bunch of figures yes hans geiger the artist that was responsible for the original mm-hmm. alien sketches and stuff mm-hmm. yeah it's practic- practically everybody that knows him apparently says that the guy's obviously from another planet they, everybody thinks he's an alien. Or he has access so to very important. Well, I'm just, yeah, that's jocular, but it's, I mean, it's a true fact. Everybody says he's like an alien, but his stuff is so weird. But he's got those non-cable tubes. They really are more like tubes, uh, festooning yeah, but, all over yeah, everything. But, yeah, but these are small relative to the much bigger ones, John, you have up top, okay? Mm-hmm. But, they're, but the reason we know their cables are not cracks in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the cliff Look at the shadows. Look at where the highlights are. Look at where the sun is. 
Look at what real cracks look like. Like there's one over on the far left. It's not very long. In other words, these are three-dimensional cables that are lying atop these collapsed strata. Are they sure. with? Did they collapse with the strata, or were they fossils of cables from a much later civilization trying to bring power to the top or get inside? In other words, we're looking at so many eras all smashed together. The later ones, as as Mars got worse and worse, my model says that culture devolved. Think of think of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Think of Barsoom. Think of that incredible Disney movie that nobody but the in crowd was supposed to see. Okay? Carter. Exactly. John Carter, where they took away the name Mars because they didn't want anybody to know, oh, my God, that's us. That's our ancestry. That used to happen. So in that model, some of these later, you know, devolving cultures, they did what every devolving culture did. They made everything an anime and everything an icon. So they carved faces on everything, everything. But it's, yep. it's millions of years after the original stuff collapsed and sat there to be carved upon by much later descendants of the original experiment to create humans in this solar system. Hmm. Okay. If you want a really big tube, look at number one in my images. There's a really big tube on the left side. Okay, so this is going to be my tube is bigger than your tube? <laughs> I don't believe you said that. <clears throat> okay. Well, so I we, didn't. You did. So we go to Ron's big tube. Gosh, yeah. conversation has got to. All right, number one. Oh, number one. I love, oh, wow. Holy See crap. It? Yeah, exactly. Where is it? Where's the cable? I'm looking at all the other stuff. No, I said tube, not cable. That's a great big one, as big as the Sora. As, so you're, as you, 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 you think that big quasi-square thing sticking is, out of it? Yeah, is really is really a tube. Okay. Well, it's sticking out of a round uh, round thing like a tube. I'm just saying. No, 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 to, no, no, no. Again, you know, what we need, of course, are the numbers to show the scale, because again. Going back to my model where the physics goes up and down, it's mm. modulated by the planetary motions of the masses in the solar system. But way mm. back when, when somebody came here, I think the guy on the ramp, and he and his buddies redesigned, moved everything around, and created a designer solar system. How's that for a mind blower? <clears throat> a long time later, when it all was in ruin. The subsequent civilizations tried to pick up the pieces and they tried to fill in the gaps because they were on a planet that had gone through this solar system shattering event of the actual destruction of a, of a planet. Imagine the energies released. Imagine the forces required. Imagine the extraordinary anguish in hyperspace and between dimensions if energies are applied that can literally dissolve an entire world, the result was the physics of the solar system took a sudden, dramatic, and irrevocable drop from something approaching the godlike, the connection between dimensions, the highest of the uh, yuga cycles, uh, whatever, you know. And How about Q? 
how it just how about yeah maybe at that level or we're technology what you think okay and george is obviously trying to tell me through the ether it was called this it was you know so yeah. imagine the devolution that would happen in a in a in an afternoon if you literally destroy a whole planet and banish it at the escape velocity for all the particles and only a tiny residuum is left under those shattering conditions the physics in the overall solar system would have plunged precipitously dramatically impossibly to where i think the biosphere here we come john only would support little lilliputian martians Mm. And that's why the blocks in front of Curiosity are only a few inches high. Isn't one of your items about Jonathan Swift? Oh, funny you should bring that up. I I remembered very dimly. Jonathan Swift was a political satire writer writing in around 1746, which if you subtract that from uh, 1877, which is the night that Asa Paul under the prodding of his wife, Angelina Stickney, whose name is now permanently attached, at least as long as our civilization survives, to the large crater at the end of the inner Martian moon, Phobos. Angelina, Phobos. Angelina was, uh, uh, you know, uh, Asa Paul's wife. He was the director of the uh, Naval Observatory there in Washington, down in a place called Foggy Bottom. Why was it called Foggy Bottom? Because they had a lot of fog in August, and so he came home, the story is, one night, and Sagan actually found all this stuff was true. He came home one night, and she asked him, well, why are you home? And he said, because I can't see anything. You know, the fog's rolled in. According to the story, Angelina said, you turn right around, and you go back out that door, and you go down to the observatory, and you discover those damn moons around Mars that you think are there. There is now Angelina's name permanently affixed on Phobos because he went back that night in August in 1877 and he found the two incredible moons of Mars, Phobos and Deimos. But 131 years earlier, a writer named Jonathan Swift wrote about the two moons of Mars at a time when nobody imagined that any planet on the Earth would have moons and maybe Jupiter. And so was born the mystery, how did Jonathan Swift know about the moons of Mars, given that their specific orbits are not accurate? Well, he was a political satirist. If he was writing in some kind of code, so much later on when all this was proved, people would look back and say, boy, Jonathan Swift really was bright. Or maybe he was planting seeds as part of some disfaction of politics that wanted to talk about the fact that life was beyond the earth and very different and very strange. And maybe he was making a side connection because in his works, in his novel, the discoverers of the moons of Mars were the astronomers of the Lilliputians of a land where he was a giant and they were only a few inches tall. And I think in that story, Jonathan Swift somehow through some means across time knew something about the actual size of the last generations of Martians. Maybe so. Well, you've got to put the models out there. And then what science does 
is you look to see if you can confirm or disconfirm the theory. Well, I want to put them out there. Uh, if anybody <laughs> wants to look at my number, at, if anybody wants to look at my number five, okay. and some people are still over there transfixed by the wonders and all those pictures. Number I normally expect there will be so many that people will just be looking through them at their leisure. But uh, number five, uh, yeah, it's kind of self-explanatory. Yeah, and it's 25 minutes after the hour, so nobody let me blow through the damn break. Please. Right. But, um, you know, I, that looks – I thought, wow, that looks like the uh, – uh, that little temple on the top looks like the oil – all the um, Ark of the Covenant or something. But um, the, you will see right below it, uh, there's yet another doorway in there. Oh my God! You're right. look at that curved metal, double curved metal piece under the big clunking thing in your bottom image at the top, which obviously See? is technological. It's got corners and angles and layers and protuberance. No, there's that's that looks like curved bent metal. Yeah. You're, See, what the crazy guy puts that? No, I'm just saying the crazy guy delivers. I'm just <laughs> well, I hold you in much higher esteem than the delivery boy. Come on. <laughs> no, I thought I was. I thought no. I, I thought I was one of the rodeo clowns. Uh, the um, you know they, but never mind. Uh, all is well. I want people to look at the pictures, and it's just but we're actually in a context for a change when they apply wonderfully. So all this stuff relates. Uh, if if you look at number nine, uh, that is a much closer view of something. You'll see it if you're looking if you're perusing the panoramas. You can find that on there somewhere. It's the same saw, and that'll help with this idea of trying to figure out how big things are. Now I don't know what the heck's going on there, but it certainly is peculiar. What do you think that is? Let's presume that thing to be not huge. Okay, how's that? Well, it's it's on the top of the ridge, so we can measure the distance from where Curiosity is to the top of the ridge. So this distance. And this scale. No, I'm talking number. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm talking number nine, but you mean number five. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, wait a minute. What am I looking at here? I have to go back and look and see. I'm yeah. looking at five, okay? Okay, yeah. And I'm talking about nine. That looks like a, a piece of a busted melon or something. I mean, for. But I'm not saying that's what size it is. But it's on the ground. You know, it's down at the bottom of that ridge relative well, to the. Well. Now, again, where are we? Are we at the same door site or different? Same solve, 3466. Okay, okay. It's not not related to – no, it's not related to what's at number five. I want people to realize that there's stuff all See, this is what's happened when you mix things. People get lost. All right, what I want you guys to do, Ron, all right, it's Mm -hmm. one image. Look at the – scroll all the way down. Look in the upper left corner. What do you see? Upper left corner of which one? Your Five picture. Nine. Your number nine. Yeah, number nine. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. What do you see? Uh, Be a reporter. Well, I, Don't interpret. Just describe what you see. Oh, you're now fine. Uh, no, I, there's, there's something very, very square up there. There's more. They're blocks. They're they're little bricks. Now look course, on the, look I, look on the on the bottom right uh, object. Both on the side, yeah. on the on the far right, and the side facing the bottom of the frame, there's more of the same stuff. And now we can see, you see that nice little wedge? Stuff is a cladding. It's a metallic cladding, which is attached to an underlying structure. 
basically it's like a facing on a building and you can see the thickness of it both in the front and the back because there's three objects there there's that blocky looking thing with the sharp corner that's tilted then there's the mm -hmm. object in the bottom right and then there's the other object in the upper left and that's if you scroll all the way down i think the whole upper set the whole upper part especially from the center to the right shows that that's like a um it's obviously part of one structure that's rather large and um or larger relative to this and there's more of it right I haven't gone back and looked at yeah. that area on the panorama to get the... I, I you realize, guys, you're letting me go amazing. through another break, and we're not going to do that. You're on the other side of midnight. I thought this would be appropriate. This, again, is one of my favorite uh, Hollywood television theme songs. Kind of appropriate for the Land of Enchantment tonight. Welcome to the real Wild Wild West. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And this is what they call a cold open because I have had a computer freeze on me. So without further ado, let's go back to the conversation. Who was who who had the floor? I believe Tim Saunders has joined the conversation. Oh, cool. And then I think it's time for Robert Morningstar to talk about something. Oh, I'm sorry, Robert. Oh. You're being so yeah. so polite and quiet. Okay, let's let's do this. Let's segue to Robert and then we'll go to Tim. Go for it. Robert Morning well, first Star. of all, I, I don't agree totally with your assessment that the whole mound is a collapsed um, superstructure. Okay. I think some evidence for a collapse uh, in uh, Ruggiero's number three, that's obviously collapsed construction. But I agree with Keith Laney that this is uh, sedimentary sandstone. 
And uh, one of the things... No, 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 no. Richard, don't, don't just no, 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 everybody. <laughs> it's not. Okay? I can prove it. Okay? I can prove it. You can't it. prove it. It's your opinion. No, okay? it's so not. Science is not an opinion. Science is not. Yes, it is an opinion. You're not on Mars. You don't have a ruler. You don't have geological instruments to do sedimentary analysis. So let's just uh, listen to me for a little while. I've listened to you for two and a half hours, browbeating your guests. Thank you. Into forcing them to agree with you. I don't agree with everything you say. I agree that there is a collapse structure, that Ruggiero isolated it with tubing and metallic and machine pieces all over the place. But I don't agree that the whole mountain is one giant World Trade Center that collapsed itself on itself with evenly stratified layers into which some little Martian crawled in and carved out this doorway. Okay? So let's come back to reality. Mm-hmm. No, now, I want that's to say your idea of reality. Else Hold on a second. I want to say that, Ron, you found an amazing photograph in zero. And it's typical of NASA to take, pardon the expression, take a Kleenex and put it on Mars and distract everyone's attention. This is what I mean by disinformation technology, which I I labeled the mind control apparatus of NASA. They took a piece of Kleenex, pardon the expression. It obviously does look like aluminum. And they placed it there. And they didn't show us the whole picture. But Ron has shown us the whole picture. And I say that, yes, that does look like uh, an iron pillar that has fallen over. But more importantly, those two objects side by side in the, uh, the color picture on the right side, they look mm-hmm. like machinery. They actually look like the camshaft of giant marine engines. And if you look at the left side of it, you see these, this triangle sawtooth structure um, as if uh, it was a piece. Is that a gear so, piece? Are you talking yeah, gear? Yeah, gear teeth. Okay. The other part is um, with regard to little Martians with Jonathan, uh, things tend to evolve from the small to the large. Now, here in, uh, in science, Western science, evolutionary theory is the cornerstone of Darwinism. And if you believe it, right, we evolved from Homo erectus, Homo epithecus, we, we believe that there was an alien intervention that uh, accelerated our evolution. But if you keep going back, they say that we evolved from lemurs. And even before that, remember, Richard, a couple of uh, months ago, they published uh, an illustration in a science magazine of the Ethurian, the earliest ancestor of man, the Ethurian. And I wrote, I wrote to you, yeah, they, they, wrote, they drew rats, like rat-like creatures, crawling on branches, and I said, the picture is totally out of proportion. I have seen the Ethurian. I went to the American Museum of Natural History, and I saw that specimen, which was blown up in these photographs that make it look like it's gigantic. And I looked at the Ethurian, E-U-T-H-E-R-I-A-N, and the thing was the size of my pinky fingernail. It was tiny. So things start small, they evolve, if they survive, they grow stronger, they may grow bigger, and also changes in gravity. Robert, Robert, did you hear anything about my discussion of the physics? Your modeling is based on contemporary science. Mine is based on real science. There's a difference. Well, listen, your science is your science. No, it isn't. It It is not mine. It's magnetary. 
I'm telling you, I'm not going to sit here and have you try to pull mind control on me and say that that mound is a collapsed superstructure like the World Trade Center that collapsed evenly in even strata. Now, I'd like to talk about the size of it. We were going through this over the week. What is the size of the entrance of that hole? Now, Keith Laney and I have been going back and forth, and he was saying, this thing is two-thirds of the way up the, the mound. And I said, no, it's nine-tenths. And I realized we're talking across purposes because none of us has, have gotten the real picture. None of us has gotten the full picture of the, the, the ground under the rover, the wheel of the rover, and the real size of the, of the mound or the mountain or the hill. So he made a statement. Keith Laney made a statement. He said, this is sedimentary sandstone, and each of those layers is about two inches thick. So I took that, and I went to the portal, and I counted the sedimentary layers on the side of the portal, and I came up with 48. So if you look at my pictures, you will see that I uh, outlined two arrows. I put two arrows there showing the height. Uh, the, the lowest point and the highest point. So this would be picture number four. If you blow it up, you'll see an arrow at the base and you'll see an arrow at the top above the lintel stone. And, and which, which, which number again? I believe it's number four. Okay, Mars portal. Nice Mars term. portal, 48 layers of strata equals 96 inches. You said it was nine feet tall. I agree, this thing is big. It's not little Martians crawling in there. And I think that Jonathan did a great uh, illustration of a standing Martian in the doorway in the portal. So, yeah, but you don't know that the guys who built the doorway are the Martians we're talking about much later. Again, well, every true. era's collapse. I do, know, I do know, and I do believe Keith Laney's accurate in saying that this is sedimentary sandstone about two inches thick. And how Going did he by... derive a two inches? Well, let's ask him. I've tried but to. He won't. I, Answer. I, know. I wish he was on the show. Honestly. Yeah, I, he was invited. I, really like, I love his work on the moon and this sedimentary material on the moon. Mount Hadley is totally sedimentary and it's got tubing coming out of it and plumbing coming out of it. So I believe that you're partly right. There is a collapsed structure on this mound. It's in um, Remember, Ruggiero's Robert, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we don't have a lot of time. Remember Hoagland's first law. All science is approximate. We're all approximately right. That's what I wanted people to see tonight, how real science works. And, yes, we get in each other's faces, we argue, but we all respect each other and where we're coming from. And we want to put the whole thing out for you, as uh, Bill used to say, for you to decide. Right. So let me go quickly through these pictures. We're running out of time here. Uh, Neville Johnson's photograph that you brought out last week. Fantastic. That – by the way, do you know him? No, I don't know him personally. Can somebody reach out and tell him I want to get him on the show? Because it's time for yeah. Neville to show. Yeah, he's on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Well, remember last week, uh, Jonathan said, no, Richard, this is not uh, circular. Uh, there's a straight line. Well, I looked at it and I, I pointed out that straight line is where the mandala or the satellite dish folded over. It collapsed over the edge of something. And as I looked at the something, I realized damn, that thing is on top of a boat. And if you look at it, the shadow being cast almost gives you a water line. And so I don't think it's far-fetched. Oh, this is so cool. This is so cool. Let me tell you why. So. It looks because, like a hull of because, a Bismarck. Because we're both right. 
See, science yeah. is not about excluding and coming out to only one answer because a lot of times there are all kinds of possibilities, maybe two or three, and you've got to have enough data so you ultimately make the decision. What you're saying is that these are separate structures that, like Noah's Ark, came to rest on the top of yes. this yes. mound. Yes. And how yeah. do they come to rest? Well, did I happen to mention that when you blow a planet up in the face of Mars, the oceans slosh? And you have tidal waves hundreds of miles high, maybe, certainly 50 miles. And what that did was take every boat, every ocean liner, every whatever, and a lot of other stuff. And when the water receded, like Noah's Ark, they were stranded on the uppermost levels. That's right. That's what I think. And I can see them all the way over on the left of some of the NAVCAM pans that, uh, uh, that, that Ron found that Laney yeah. actually initially found because they're lined up like, like, like they were sitting in New York Harbor, side by side by side. Yeah, corroded and corroded. Ancient, well, ancient corroded. Let's call it the mandala, the satellite dish. It could also be a solar panel that collapsed on the bridge of a ship and it would be a solar panel driven boat. See, this also, is the problem of the high-tech game of what is this? We're yeah. 35 million miles from Mars on a good night. There's no way without landing in a spacecraft and walking out in a spacesuit and doing what someone else said I should be doing, maybe it was you, to really know. But what I want to do is put ideas out there that no one will think of unless they, A, have a little nudge, B, are given permission to think outside the box, and C, demand the science to get the answer someday. Right. Let me continue. Over there on the yeah. left side, it's cut off, but there are two other structures to the left of the bow of the ship that look like... What capsides. number are we looking at? Same picture, same picture. Num- I, I, num- I didn't num- have a chance to Number one. It. Number one. Yeah. Over there on the left side, you see something that's like a little triangle, a little black pyramid, but that's part of a long, two long hulls that look like they're upside down. Another time I will enhance it and perhaps work on it. But this was the most important thing, that this looks like a ship and this uh, satellite dish is on top of it collapsed. So let me continue. We were talking about the lintel stone. One of the most fascinating parts of the portal is the lintel stone and its carved. And when we were working on these enhancements, I zoomed in on it and enhanced it, and it looks like a face. No, uh, of course it is. Gar- a yeah, gargoyle. It looks like a gargoyle. It is a gargoyle, right? yeah. Symmetrical, bisymmetrical, and two eyes, a nose, uh, a gargoyle. Yeah. And obviously it represents somebody important to whoever did the damn tunnel. Yeah. I want to mention uh, with regard to Ron's picture, I think it was number five, the one with the stone up on top. Let me go look at five. No, he said. I think he said. It reminds you of Easter Island. Yeah, number four. Oh yeah, number four. That's number four. Number, okay, number four. The mega statue. I have statue. seen that face yeah. before. I have seen that face before. I with have that too. eye. Yes, I have. I have too. And it's contained in one of the most rare sculptures ever discovered in Iraq, dating back to Sumerian times, oh, and it is the image of a reptilian mother, who is nursing a a child. It is. Uh, 
it's well, it looks like a snake-headed being. Mm. But I know the one you mean. I know <laughs> the one you mean. Yeah, now, that you can't. Was obscured. That picture was obscured for years and years and years, where you could only see the head. I found the original, and she's nursing a baby. It's a female. Oh. Okay. Let me go on. I'm getting shivers. Go ahead. I don't want to run out of time. That's what they're here for. Included, I've included here two yeah. fabulous videos. You know the uh, the Nazis had their uh, their seers, their psychics, uh, Maria Orsich and the others. Well, we have some really great American and Canadian uh, women who are visionaries. I want to introduce you to Gigi Young. She has an eight part series so far called All Things Mars. I only saw this one which is called Occult Aspects of the Obfuscation of Mars. And her presentation is really worth hearing. She's talking about how NASA is playing this game with us of denying life on Mars while always titillating us with a piece of Kleenex over there Mm -hmm, on on the camshaft. Mm -hmm. And she has a very interesting theory that Mars is becoming reanimated, that the volcanic activity that we've been noticing over the last couple of years, for example, that big long smoke plume coming out of Ascreus Mons yep. in the Tarsus Mountains that stretched out for 900 miles mm-hmm. and they were saying, oh, it's condensation. Condensation dissipates in a few minutes and it doesn't stretch out 900 miles, okay? But this lady's worth listening to. And the other one below, Elizabeth April, history of the reptilians she is a um, remote viewer and a psychic and remembered her past lifetimes in ancient egypt and she says that in ancient egypt there was a race of reptilians that were overlords over the slave egyptians Hmm. and that it was forbidden by penalty of death to draw them or sculpt them or show any representation of them And I think uh, these two ladies really give us a lot of food for thought. So I highly recommend spending some time. Well, again, what angers... Yeah, that sounds like Yahweh. You're not allowed to uh, have a... Have a a graven image. Well, we're seeing, if we're seeing this iconography on Mars, which we now know because of John's brilliant work, was transported culturally to Earth, and then we split into two separate cultures, the Egyptian and the Mayan, and I see through the doorway on that wall, Ron, paint, chromes, like the Mayans used to use, but not like the Egyptians. Right. I'd like to say something about Jonathan's work uh, on the pathway or the trench, as I will call it. The area where that symbol is on the wall, it leads somewhere. And unfortunately, the picture is cut off. But in the Jigapan, you will notice that if you walk through that trench that John so well depicted his picture. Wait, number wait, trench, 14, when did the word trench come up? Are you talking just, about are you talking about I our just, doorway? No, not the doorway, the pathway where well, the symbol is his picture number 14. I call that a trench. Hang on. Let me go look where which number 14 who? Jonathan's. Jonathan. Okay, looking at Jonathan's 14. The wall, it's bricks, and it's yeah, got I, the symbol. And he did a, an excellent depiction of a walkway. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to find 14. Yeah. Okay, if you go to the Jigapan, 
and you go and follow that trench in. Oh, well, okay. wait, 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 wait. That's, not, that's the ramp. God, names okay, are important. So you want to call it a ramp. And, well, well it look it. at how it slopes. Yeah. It leads up to the it's tunnel. Slow. And it's got layers. It's eroded. It was made of glass. And it's cut in hmm. between two sections of, of the, the surface there. So if you walked up there, and in the Jigapan, you can see that that material that was on the ground, the shiny material, when you walk through that, in the upper right, it's, it's in the black here. But if you go up and you were to make a right turn, there's an entire canopy of that material in white. Yeah, cover above the door food. to the right. It looks like a clamshell, an inverted clamshell. I saw what when I first saw it, I thought it ought to have the letters Cinzano on it, like and a, that's the uh, one European cafe. Like a tent. In one part, the end of it. And that's like the tent. one so, in the yeah. second photo we're not supposed to talk about <clears throat> that has the Eye of Horus in the middle of it. <clears throat> second photo, your photo? No, I I don't know where it is. I, I've got to go look. You know, mm. whose photos? I'm I'm, I'm going to my go number look. fifteen. Oh, okay, shows good. That. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Is Tim available, Richard, and everybody? Because um, I think his opinion would be really. Oh, Tim, worthwhile. there you are. Oh, I need another two hours for you. So, yeah. what, are you, what are you? What are you doing oh, next Saturday night? Yeah. We'll do another show because mm. we have so much more to go through. The last comment I have is about the turret that Jonathan has and the bend in the turret. I, be- I believe it's metallic, and I believe in John Brandenburg's nuclear holocaust uh, thesis. And I think it melted, and that's why you see a bend in it. You see how much all our ideas vary, but they're kind of within an envelope of impossibility. The, the <laughs> oh, art form now is to narrow down and which one of these crazy ideas is correct and which ones are not. And remember, it was somebody talking to Max Planck, you know, the Copenhagen group in physics back at the turn of the last century, and someone was presenting a paper and, and – uh, uh, was it Planck or was it Bohr who said to him, I'm sorry, but your theory isn't far out enough? Yeah, it was Bohr. He said your your ideas are crazy, but they're not crazy enough. Exactly. So our ideas may sound crazy to a lot of you folks. Yeah. All you have to do is wait. All you have to do is wait. In fact, I can clean up if I make bets on some of this stuff with people because, well, I have science. I don't want to step on Robert's time, but there's one more picture you might all like, which is my, my number 14, because there's color. You know, all these other – and it's fully red. It's fully cleaned up. Okay. And it, it's, uh, it's got blocks. It's got holes. It's got chambers and channels. It's got everything but turrets. Well, there's but, um, 14. Got it? Right. And oh, I yeah, believe – a nice piece of silver metal that embedded into the cliff there. Just below the layering. Just just below what looks like a ramp well, sitting you, in midair. If you look at right. the layering, it's carved out. If you go another two mm-hmm. seconds Look at down. the geometry of that face-like feature kind of halfway up on the left-hand side, the bluish thingy yeah. with the overhang and the shadows. This is all technology. Well, the top picture, the, top picture yeah. the right side of this formation is a face. That that would be some sort of Yeah, animal, and what they I did is say. the later guys carved faces and all this ancient stuff because it was sacred. Now Look. that one on the right, the face on the right in this picture is reminiscent of the stone 
uh, statue uh, in Ron's picture that I said looks yep, like that yep. reptilian statue from Iraq uh-huh. of the reptilian mother nursing the baby. Hey, and Ron. We know that, that baby yeah, they're everywhere. Human. Yeah. Look and at the bottom. The Look at the very bottom of your close-up, right in the middle toward the bottom. Look at that okay. I-beam thing sticking out of the background smash stuff. And then below that, there's box-like figures. And when you click on it, they get much bigger. And there's inscriptions, and there's bracing, and there's three-dimensional raised embossing. And then above that, on the right, there's another barrel sticking out above the edge of a, looks like a, looks like a flying saucer, actually. It's curved and it's got fluid. Richard said flying saucer. Uh Uh-oh. To the right right side of that silver chunk is um, an embossing or a venation or tubing. Yeah. Uh, That that area would be worth a, a lot of study. If, if they would ever, you realize that these are these are these are absolutely censored, abrogated images of what NASA is looking at, and we paid yeah. for the real stuff, and we're not getting the real stuff. So next weekend, next Saturday, Tim, can you mm-hmm. join us? Timothy, he died. Oh dear. no, I think you got uh, Rogero's voice uh, confused yeah. with Tim's. Okay. Oh, and if you have a chance to watch Spider Man from uh, came out ten years ago. Spider-Man fights a, a scientist who is with genetics. He wants to regrow his missing arm, so he turns himself into this mm-hmm. huge lizard. And there's bad, but totally reminded me of what we're talking about tonight with the reptilians I, and Robert. I'm seeing oh, one. I'm seeing one of your faces on uh, Ron's image. You see where that wedge is at the top? On fourteen. On fourteen. We're still on his image. Look yeah. at the enlargement. Look to the right of that slope. First tier of stuff. Right in the middle. Yeah. You see it? Well, it does look like a snake head. It looks almost identical. No, 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 no. Well, I'm talking about the one with the... Tell him, Ron. It's, it's the one, the last color one. It's the only one in color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what right. number is it? Number, number 14? 14. 14. In yeah. Ron's section. All right. Where is it reference to the arrow? The arrow's pointing at something. Where is that? that um, let me, let the me. arrow is pointed, is kind of on top of that, uh, that upright, bright white thing. That's, uh, oh, I know that. I know that. But where is the face that Richard's talking about? Okay. Right? If you, I don't know. I see a on, bunch of faces on, there, on. and I don't know All which right. one. Directly, directly above the arrow, there is this flat panel, and then there's a wedge-shaped dark shadow, very yes. sharp line. You see that right. now? Right above the arrow. Yes. To the yes. right, in the middle of that sloping, shadowed uh, feature, there's the face. Yeah. You see it? Mm-hmm. I see it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's a human-looking yeah. face. <clears throat> By the oh, way... FYI, everybody, I believe this is the same uh, extrusion from the Martian crust. There, I won't call it anything else, uh, as, that we've been looking at with all the other pictures. It's yeah, an older picture. They were around. Like the, the face on the lintel. It's, yeah, well, this is just the other side of that same extrusion from the surface. Yeah, everybody argue, Barrow, temple, uh, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's just the other side. We're looking at the other side of it. They went all the way around the base. As there far as I can tell. And that's their panorama, by, by the way, the top. It's their blue sky. That's their color <laughs> that I that I worked from. It was one of those. 
Yeah, Richard, you know that face you're talking about right there in the middle? Uh, it does look like the, what I derived from the lintel. Yes, it does. Well, again, if later cultures icon- iconographied and worshipped all this stuff, faces are the window from hyperdimensions into 3D reality. So I'm not surprised there are faces all over. Not surprised at all. So the Martian civilization we're trying to track down was really a cargo cult. Well, only one of them, or maybe two of them toward the very end. Okay. What I call okay. the, the Barsoomian epoch. Cultures yes. evolve. Cultures change. We had an interplanetary culture. There's stuff on every damn place NASA and the other guys have looked. Of course, they're and not there been, yet. There would have been outlying colonies, even within the solar system, if you don't think they had star travel, uh, when uh, Mars had its very bad day and lost the planet that it was paired with yeah. got thrown out yeah. of orbit yeah. so there would have been people that hadn't gotten wrecked by it that oh. might come back and try to help pick up the pieces oh do you know who they are and do you know where they went among other places they went to Sirius and they came back and I called them the pirates because I think they're the ones running our civilization right now and why do we call that land Syria today? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yep, yep. And that's where that Syria, Iraq, that's where that statue. We'll have to find it. Ron is familiar with wow. it. Wow. We will have another episode. The one with the baby in it. We will have yeah, another. I, have the, I, I recognized it from your description, Robert. I know I've seen pictures of it. I certainly don't know which museum it's in. But, yeah, I know it's from that part of the world. I thought it was Acadian, but that's close enough. Hmm. Hey, it's close enough. Guys, we are, literally down, we are literally down to 30 seconds. I want to um, thank everybody. A lot of material didn't get on the air tonight. It will next week, including your cards and letters. The letters I'm getting from George's audience are incredibly sensational, magnificent, uh, impossible to replicate, but we'll leave enough time next Saturday to do them. So until next Saturday... Same time, same bat channel. We're going to have to be signing off because literally we are out of time. This, for all of you new listeners, I hope you stick around. I hope you kind of peruse the archive. Join Club 19.5. I mean, the, the, the coincidence of that number showing up last night. By the way, we did have a couple of people who wrote in. They also lost KFI last night in Los Angeles for 19.5 minutes, dead air. And you think the news might not be controlled? Not a whisper. Not a whisper. Biggest station in L.A. loses everything. And nobody noticed. Till same time, same bat channel next week. Remember, third star on the left, straight on to morning. Good night, everyone. <laughs>